Mac Power Users, episode 100. Welcome back to show 100 of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, we made it. Yeah, it's thrilling. You know, we've got... Oh, and you know, right now, the leaf blower guy is going to show up. <laughs> there you go. Hello, leaf blower guy. Yeah. yeah. We, we scheduled this back around the gardening plan of Southern California, but apparently the neighbor decided to uh, to wait until sleep in today. Either way, look, we're at, we're here we are at show 100. Can you believe it? I, I can. I, I always yeah. planned for this day. I knew it would come. Yeah, you know, just for giggles, last night I listened to show number one. Oh, my goodness. And... Uh, and you know when we did it, you were the one who said that we got to have three digits in the number, blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And mm-hmm. uh, what was amazing to me with show one was how terrible I was and <laughs> how many pregnant pauses I I leave in the show, and the m- number of times I say um. And then I realized that I did the exact same thing in show 99, so it really hasn't changed much. Right. Yeah, but it's fun. You know, a little-known fact is we actually recorded show one, which is really show one and two, because we split it in half. We recorded that show twice. Yeah. Yeah, we did it once, and we went all the way through it. It was like two and a half hours or something. Right. And then I said, Katie, would you be upset if I said, let's just do it over again? (laughs) And you said, no, please, let's do it again. (laughs) And it was uh, a good thing we did. I don't know if anybody, we didn't keep that recording, and I think that's probably a good thing. I think it is a good thing. And that show was about an hour and a half long, and we actually said, you know, people may get upset if our first show is an hour and a half long. We should probably split it into two shows. Yeah. Well, either way, we made it to 100, and here we are, and it's so much fun. Right. And and this show in particular is fun because we've had all these great listeners. I, I've always said that the people who listen to the show are much smarter than me, and, and it's just true. And so we, we put out the call saying we're going to go to show 100. If you do something interesting, let us know, and we're going to bring a few people in for this show. Yeah. Well, we got these amazing entries. And frankly, we had to turn down a lot of people who were very worthy of this show. It just we don't have enough time. And I think we may make this a regular thing. I'm not sure how often, but... Uh, this is the first time, and there's a lot of technical stuff involved, so please hang in there with us, those in the live chat room. And thanks to George Starcher, I think we can make it all happen. So what do you say? Let's get started. Yeah, let's get started. So we put out the call, and we said, okay, Mac Power users, we know that you're doing these amazing things with your Mac. Tell us about them. Tell you who you are, what you do, what kind of amazing things are you doing with your Mac, and how you can share those with the Mac community. So... Uh, let's let's go ahead and see if we can get our first caller on the line here. And here we got Jeff. Jeff, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, welcome, Jeff. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, well, my name is Jeff Takeman, and I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. We've used Macs for a long time, actually, since the mid '80s. Uh, but what I do now, I'm a, a faculty member at Duke University, and have multiple roles there. I'm a neuroanesthesiologist. Uh, then also I'm the Assistant Dean for Educational Technology in the School of Medicine and Direct uh, Simulation Center called the Human Simulation and Patient Safety Center. Well, that's what was so interesting about your workflow to us because that's been one of the biggest requests for workflow shows is everybody says, we want you to really have a scholar on the show. Everybody seems to be very curious about people how we're using their Macs in the educational setting. 
and we did the whole Fraser Spears workflow show, which has been a favorite. But he really focused about Macs and iOS devices in the educational setting in a very different way. And I think you focus quite a bit on research and things like that, right? Yeah, well, a fair amount of stuff that I do has to do with writing, whether it's manuscripts or book chapters or research proposals or a blog. So, um, yeah, I've developed several workflows, actually, for writing. I've got a complicated one, but I'm only going to talk really about a small portion of what I do here today. Uh, When you're writing, though, there's several steps. And the first part is just collecting information. Once you get that information, you've got to organize it and synthesize it. And then when you're writing, you want to cite what you've read and synthesized. So really only have time to talk about the collecting side of stuff today. But um, So for a long time, I used a program called EndNote, um, but I really don't use that program at all. I think many folks in academics probably are still using that. Uh, But it just stopped working for me. It, it, It didn't meet my needs. And So several years ago, I transitioned to a program called Papers, which you could think of kind of as an iTunes for scientific publication. Yeah, you know, I've heard heard a lot about this application. We've had several people write in about it. How do you like it? Oh, it's it's become an essential part of my, my workflow. I really can't do without it anymore. Tell us from a big picture overview, what does Papers do? I've, I've never used it. I know very little about it other than, you know, what I read off their website. So in academics, you have to keep track of a, a lot of information, whether it's coming from PDFs, from colleagues, or from the web. So what Papers does is it um, first lets you go and find the information so it can search many different academic repositories of information and lets you download the article uh, without ever leaving the, the papers interface. And then once you get it into papers, you can read the PDF directly in papers or read it in your favorite PDF reader. Um, you can organize those papers using either manual folders, but what I tend to do is using something that's similar to iTunes, which are smart folders, which basically organizes informa- uh, organizes the literature based on metadata or based on information that's inside the paper itself. And it, um, it organizes as it imports the file onto my computer. It actually names it to a particular convention, so it keeps my library on my hard drive organized as well. And then when I'm writing, I can actually interact directly with papers without leaving my writing program and cite literature and then when I'm done, it will actually format my bibliography for me as well. And it uh, does a whole lot more than that, but we probably don't have time to talk about it today. Is it kind of like iTunes for managing academic research or kind of like a Scrivener or kind of both all together? Do you do everything all in, all in one application? No, it's really more like iTunes than like Scrivener. Um, it, it, it is a way of organizing your scientific literature into playlists, if you will, or you know, we call them reading lists, but it's a way of really keeping track and organizing the information in a way that makes sense to you. And one of the problems in academics, too, if you use manual folders like most of us did when we were starting out, one paper may fit multiple categories. And so things like these smart folders really made 
smart collections make a huge difference because that same paper can be in, in 10 different collections on my hard drive. Now, Jeff, does that allow you to share the information to your iPad as well, or do you just have to do it on the Mac? Yeah, no, there is a, a separate application for the iPad, and I do all my reading now on the iPad. It basically, as long as your Mac and iPad are on the same wireless um, uh, network, the two can interact, and information you've downloaded into papers on your iPad will synchronize with the information on the Mac and vice versa. Nice, nice. Yeah, I could almost see using this for legal research as well. I'm going to have to play with this. Yeah, it is a phenomenal program. Right. So how do you use papers in your workflow? Is The piece that you wanted to talk about, was that how information gets in or how you use it to organize? Or Well, I think just um, I've got multiple different workflows, but for collecting information, um, you know, there's different ways that I get papers into my and when I say papers, I mean manuscripts or book chapters into my library. Yeah, I guess we should be clear. And I know there's also a papers writing app now, too, so things get a little confusing. But um, I, I receive materials in multiple different ways. I think the least common way is I get uh, an email from a colleague that says, hey, I think you might be interested in this as an attachment to an email. Um, more commonly is I'm collaborating with people and writing we each have our own libraries. Uh, many of my collaborators still use EndNote, but Papers uh, offers a way of exporting uh, or importing uh, EndNote files into Papers as well, so you can easily collaborate. But the, the major way that I actually typically get Papers is when I'm surfing the web, I'm looking for information, and I really get that mindset where I'm, I just want to collect information, and I don't want to um, be interrupted by trying to figure out where to save information in other places. So what I typically do is my download folder becomes my repository, and everything just goes into that download folder. But then actually something I learned from your show was I, I have Hazel um, actually monitoring my download folder. And what Hazel does is takes a peek inside of that that file and any PDF that has some of the um, words that are common in scientific publication, if it recognizes those, it causes a match and then it launches papers and automatically imports the paper into papers. And um, then papers is smart enough to be able to go out to some of the major uh, scientific literature databases to match the the true uh, metadata. So if it, for me, it's most it's usually our PubMed database. It can go out and find a match there and import that match, and then it renames the file on my hard drive and is available uh, when I'm ready to to read it and cite it. Yeah, that, and that's that feature in Hazel where you look at the contents of a file. It's super powerful. Yeah, it really has changed the way I collect information because I, I get in the flow and I'm looking for information. You really don't want to be interrupted or you kind of lose the chain of thought of what you were looking for. Yeah. yeah. And this is mainly an academic uh, research and writing application. I guess that's the way to summarize it. 
I think it's primarily used um, in academics. They have a, a good website that you can look at that has a bunch of different use cases. I think it is used in, in law as well, uh, I'm for sure, academic law. Um, but that's a place to look and see how other people and other professions are using the software as well. Okay, Jeff, wow. Jeff tell me a little bit about this human simulation. I know this isn't really a Mac workflow, but I'm fascinated. At Duke University, you're doing this human simulation. What is that? Well, uh, you know, pilots actually have used flight simulators for a long time. We have now simulators in healthcare where we can um, recreate areas, uh, things that happen in the healthcare setting. So we can either bring the sim- bring people to our simulation center or bring our simulators out into the uh, hospital itself and um, teach people, but we also use the simulator as a way of improving patient safety. And the area that I'm particularly interested in and where most of my academic work is currently is in what I consider the next phase of simulation, which is taking a lot of the power of uh, platforms that are used for games, commercial games, and repurposing that for educational purposes. So we... uh, are doing a fair amount of work there. And um, so that the combination of all these different forms of simulation, we're hoping will really change uh, the way people learn and practice medicine in the future. Jeff, before papers and before you implemented this workflow, how did something like this before work? Was it just stacks of documents and folders that you'd have to pile through? Yeah, well, I'm old enough to, before computers were really popular, what we used to do is take the uh, table of contents of a major textbook and have folders, and then we'd number each manuscript and throw it in there. So the writing of uh, finding that information was very difficult. And then uh, if you think about what you had to do once you found that paper, you would have to manually... Um, type out your bibliography on a on a, a typewriter. So EndNote for a while was an academic, uh, you know, was a standard within academics because it would format a bibliography for you. But over time, the features of some of these other programs like Papers, I think, have kind of left EndNote in the dust. This just sounds like an invaluable tool. I don't know why anybody who's using a Mac in a in an academic setting would not use a tool like Papers. I have a question. Jeff, um, have you looked at this? A lot of people in the chat room talking about uh, the, the differences between Papers and something like the, um, what's that one application that like we Devon don't... Thing? Yeah, like Devon Think. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Have you compared those two? Uh, actually, I use both of them. And Devon Think, um, you know, I know one of the other guests today, I've actually been talking with, with Derek about some of the ways he uses it. The way I use Devon Think is uh, Devon Think is smart enough to uh, read a particular folder on your hard drive. So I can map the, my library of information on my hard drive into the DevonThink database. And so I still use papers primarily for citing, but DevonThink, when I'm trying to research information and look at a broad range of information and how different pieces fit together, um, yeah, so I, I use a combination of the two. And um, 
you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that sometime in the future, but that's uh, yeah, it's pretty complicated workflow. <laughs> DevonThink itself is an incredible program as well, but but Papers is really fine tuned for keeping track of gesture scientific uh, literature and then using that to cite. And it's more complicated in DevonThink; it can be done, but I think the combination of the two together is is pretty incredible. Yeah, and just for the listeners out there, we are going to do a show on Dev and Think. I've been getting serious about it the last two or three months. I've got an installation, in, and I'm finding uses for it. So stay tuned, and we're going to get there. And actually, we've got a guest later today who's going to talk about it as well. Right. Uh, and we've got Howard coming up after Jeff, who's going to talk a little bit more about papers, because there's just been so much interest in this academic workflow. And I think, I'm, I'm not going to steal any of his thunder, I think Howard's going to talk a little bit more about how it integrates with the writing process, and, and we'll see about that. But but Jeff, and to Howard as well, who I know is listening on hold, this is a topic that there's been a lot of interest on. So we may be calling on you guys a little bit later to, to talk about this a little bit more in depth, perhaps. Sounds great. So, um, Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us for Show 100. That was a pleasure being here. Hey, Howard. Hey there. Welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Now, Howard, you heard we were just talking to Jeff a little bit about his workflow with papers, and I, I know I put you right behind him, and, but I, <laughs> I, I know that you were talking about it as well, and I, I wanted to, to hear about how you use it as well, because when you, when you sent us your pitch, you talked a lot about how you use it more for writing thesis or, or helping students uh, write thesis and, and actually more of the writing aspect of, of mm-hmm. papers. So I thought that would be a good, a good bookend to Jeff's segment. So uh, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and how this works for you. All right. Well, I am a, um, sec- I'm in my second year of fellowship um, studying neuropsychology at the University of Kansas here in Wichita, Kansas. And most of my day-to-day work is clinical, um, but I do a fair amount of research as well. And my experience with papers actually started, I guess, probably about five years ago now. It really came to the forefront, I guess, when I was doing my my, dissert, my own dissertation. And, of course, it's this massive undertaking and you've got this committee breathing down your neck constantly. And like Jeff mentioned, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to manage just an enormous amount of information. And, and so that's one, one of its best features is how it manages that. And I, and I did take some notes actually while Jeff was talking, so I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to try not to repeat too much of what he said. It's okay, though, because the stuff that you are both doing just reinforces why that works. Yeah, it it was remarkable. When I was listening to him talk, I was like, I I don't know how many times I've given that same sort of, you know, it almost sounds like a pitch. Now, is is there there like a group of forward-thinking researchers who are in in papers and a bunch of of old-school guys using EndNote? Is that how it's working? Well, um I would say that, yeah, that, that is a, a good kind of overarching uh, way to think about it, at least from my end, that most of the people I run into doing research, you, you sit down with them and you say like, hey, look at this great way to, to handle your information and to write in a really incredibly efficient way, um, you know, 
And typically you just get kind of the, the deer in the headlights or um, this reaction where people don't want to spend um, all this time learn. You know, they feel like it's this big, steep learning curve and um, they would rather just stick with what they know. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so they just avoid it. I, I've only encountered really just a handful of people uh, that use this. Um, Do you see that Star Trek uh, movie? Are you a Star Trek guy? Ish, more Star Wars, but okay, okay. So, yeah, well, me, too. me too, me too, really, <laughs> me too. But the, there was the one where they went back to like the to our time when they went back to San Francisco. Did you ever Star see that Trek. one? That would be yeah. Star Trek yeah. Four. Yes. Okay, so Voyage so Home. McCoy's walking through the hospital, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, what is he? Barbarians. He's like really angry at the doctors, and then he's like handing people pill and like curing cancer and all this stuff. That's what <laughs> I feel like. He gave her a pill, and she grew a new kidney. Let's let's be clear about this. Yeah, something like that. You know, I'm a Star Wars guy too, but yeah, that's what I feel like when I talk to these lawyers who are like using Word Perfect, and they've got you know all these photocopies of stuff all over their office, and they can't find anything. It's like, are you crazy? I can't believe these people are living in the past. Right. Yeah. And, and you you you're around them, and you're like, you you know that they're intelligent enough and and rational by and large. You hope, um, and that. This would be an easily uh, – it's, it's a very persuasive place to come from. You know, your, your time is money. Um, as neuropsychologists, like we spend a lot of time writing reports um, and, and we don't get paid. You can't bill for that stuff. So it's like anything you can do to cut down on the amount of time you spend hunting for information uh, and writing is the case with um, text expander certainly. Uh, you, you, you know, jump in and do it. Um, but I don't know. There's just cr- this crazy resistance that I can't figure out, but it works for me. So, uh, so Howard, talk to us a little bit about the, once you've got the research into papers, what is that step of now you've actually got to start writing? Okay. So that really was the part for me that just ch- was changed my world. Um, you, you can read these PDFs in a full screen view. Uh, within papers, and uh, hitting Command Two will will fire up this translucent text editor window on uh, on that full screen menu, and it has all the features, as far as I can tell, of the text edit application. So you can call up fonts and underline and format and everything right there within it. So. I would go through and read, uh, you know, old school when I used to do this, I'd go through and I'd, I'd read these paper copies and I'd make all my notes and have highlights and sticky notes in there. And I'd go back and enough of the time to where it was significant, I, I wouldn't be able to remember what I was thinking. You know, I'd take these notes in the margin and I would write it in code half the time. I don't know what I was doing. And, and I'd lose what were maybe these really good ideas. And have to go back and reread and what was I thinking. So with papers, I could go and read the article. And as I'm reading it, I am typing what I really want to go into the manuscript. Or when I first started doing it, the case was the dissertation. So I would read an article and I would know that I want this to go in this particular section of of my review. Um, and, And I would write it for that. And then I would put in little parenthetical kind of place markers to tell me where to go back and um, insert the citations later on. 
and, and so when I was done reading all these articles and uh, at the end of each day, I could just pull up the notes pane, cut and paste straight into the word editor and bam, there's five pages of text, like actual, you know, usable information and not just notes. Uh, and, and that's incredibly efficient. Yeah. I'm having to go back effectively and go through each article twice. I, I couldn't tell you how many hours it saved me, but, uh, you know, it just takes, it, it allows me to just like focus on what I'm writing, the actual thought process in the moment on the fly. And I can go back and edit for content later. I was never in a field that was very, very heavy on research. Um, <laughs> But I used to remember there was this always this this problem with having to keep track of exactly where I got all my information from, and I tried index cards and just copying pasting as I went around along and footnotes, and then always having to refer back to this book to see what the proper format was for citation. But papers takes care of a big part of that as well because proper citation and and proper referencing is so important in academic and scientific research. I mean, this isn't just like your high school research paper where you have a, a bibliography at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and for me, and, and I think probably a lot of other um, people in, in academic would echo this sentiment, is that the citation and the formatting of citations, the bibliography, the references section, that's like the worst part because it's just – it's pure grunt work and you just – you know, you care because – properly citing keeps you uh keeps your readers focused and, and able to come back for the material if they need it but it really is just this just terrible tedium um and it, it, i i actually still use endnote for a lot of this stuff i did try the the um more recent version of papers a few months ago and it was still like really buggy so I stuck with the first one, and I know from from what I see, see in the forums and everything now, it looks like it's working a lot better and managing citations and and all the other nice new features it's supposed to handle. So at some point, I'll uh, I'll I'll stop being lazy and and, and go and, uh, and and upgrade my copy. There's also a papers for Windows too, right? Yeah, it just came out. Just came out. I am. I left a message for uh, the IT. Uh, admin at work last week because I, I downloaded it, but of course here um, our computers, our workstations are all locked down, and uh, I bring my Mac to work, uh, much to their consternation, I think. But I still have am chained to that PC for a lot of work, so hopefully she'll be able to to get over to my office this coming week and. Uh, install it for me. Great. You know, it's funny. People like to sit there and complain about having complicated workflows. I know I've been accused of that as well, that it seems fiddly because I use several different tools and it really doesn't start out that way. You don't start saying, I'm going to make this as complicated as possible, but you find right. something that works and then you find a little tweak that makes it a little better. And then another little tweak. And sometimes that means going to a different app or utility and at the end of the day, the fact is you get your work done like three times as fast as the next guy. And and there's all these moving parts granted, but they move and they work. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think this is so, an iterative process. 
Totally. Absolutely. I, I tell you what, listening to the, uh, the Mac power users sometimes for me is like group therapy because y'all will mention things like this. I'm like, ah, you know, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> there's somebody out there that shares this, um, you know, pain, passion, whatever you want to call it, but you're absolutely right. Um, it, it does take some tweaking. It does take some refinement. You know, sometimes it does take a, uh, holy cow, what did I just install uh, and how do I get it reverted? But yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, you are burning. At work, I mean, I write my reports, I I don't know, just so much faster than than my colleagues with with these tools. So yeah. You had also included links to Fletcher Penny's uh, website and his multi-markdown stuff. Are you a big multi-markdown user? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. It's easy. It's fast. It can be uh, converted to just so many different other file types. That guy is just so smart. I just can't get over how smart he is. (laughs) He really is, yeah. He, he he really is, and he's he's actually from my hometown in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, when I, I I plan on moving back there with my family uh, next year, and and I actually emailed him. I was like, you know, when I get back, I'm, I'd like to to buy you a cup of coffee at least. I figure I owe him at least that much for multi markdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Fletcher came out to Macworld last year. It was awesome. So it was. It was really great getting to spend some time with him. App developer, doctor, uh, um, academic, the guy does everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A- absolutely. All right, Howard. Well, th- thank you so much for joining us. And like I said, this is a topic that everybody is interested in, and we may have to have you and Jeff back to talk more about academic workflows. I would love to. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. Okay. And, and Howard, I'm going to go ahead and put links into your blog and some of the other stuff you sent us. So anybody who's interested can go check it out. Uh, I love the way uh, you've named your site. What is it called? Howard, Howard Budin Research Dynamo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it was kind of a lark at first, but then I was like, well, why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not? All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Howard. Thank you very much. All right, we've got our uh, next guest getting ready to come on the line. And uh, we've got a theme going on here, also dealing with academic workflows. So we're going to bring in. I think we'll get into some different stuff. Don't worry. Yeah, it's okay. Well, we thought we'd group them together because this is an interesting subject to people. and It's kind of a mini uh, full show on this stuff. All right, welcome, Derek. Hi. Derek, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, I am going into my fifth year as an assistant professor of English at uh, Kent State University, where I teach writing and I do research on how people write, looking at how people use new technologies to get their writing work done and, you know, trying to answer some of the questions that you guys have been talking about with the other two guests about, you know, what what leads people to take on new things and how come other folks are happy to stay with the things that have been working for them for, you know, decades for some folks. Right. Now, one of the things that really intrigued me about your workflow is that you're using DevonThink. And a lot of people have asked us about DevonThink, and they've even asked us about that in the chat room today, saying, oh, Katie and David will never do a show on DevonThink because they don't use it. Well, here you go. Right, yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I've been watching the, the chat room, too, and you know, I don't know if I'm using it uh, as, as much of a power user as DevonThink as other folks, but though it's, it's really uh, 
a key part of my workflow and I, and I wouldn't be able to get the work done that I do without it. You guys have been talking a lot about the ways that papers speeds up people's work. Devin thing for me doesn't, doesn't speed anything up. It just makes it possible. Like I don't, I don't think I could put the ideas together in the same way uh, without it, just because of the, the way that it helps me search um, and make sure that I'm finding all the notes about the same topics that I might be talking about. Well, Give we'll us explain a big picture that a overview. Yeah, well, you know, I sent the link that maybe you guys can put in the show notes from the author Stephen Johnson wrote um, many years ago about Devin Think and using it as a way to to tie ideas together. And I kind of started my workflow from from that starting point. So what I do is I'll I'll read um, PDF notes and other kinds of research, and then I'll highlight those things. And I use a program called Skim that will export all of my highlights into an RTF file that I can dump right into DevonThink. And then I have a, a folder that I, I create new folders for each uh, piece of text that I'm reading, whether it's a book or an article. And I, and I put that uh, RTF with all my notes in there. And I just start, uh, I look at a note, I'll have a, you know, a, a pull quote and I'll have the page number and I'll add a little annotation to it and I'll write some notes about it. And then I'll make that its own little note. And as long as you keep the notes, each note under 500 words, it really makes the artificial intelligence uh, fly and, and work really well with that. So then I can, once I'm done separating all my notes out, I can click on a note and touch on the see also button that's on the interface, and it'll show me a bunch of other notes that the artificial intelligence thinks are related. Yeah, you know, and that's what makes Devin think unique is the artificial intelligence. It goes through and does the work of sorting for you, where Hazel uh, does brute force sorting, where you create rules and it follows the rules you set up. Devin think, in essence, attempts to create rules and apply them uh, without your involvement, I guess is the way to put it. Right, and I and I actually don't end up using it for sorting because I like to keep all of the notes for specific text in the folder of that text rather than sort them by topic. But then I can use the C also just to see other other notes that might be related, and so I can I can sort of follow, trace the connections myself rather than having it dump all those notes in different places all on its own. Yeah, like an example of a, a project you're working on and exactly how that that works because I'm not sure I, I fully get it yet. Yeah, sure. Right now, I'm actually writing an article about the website instructables.com. Um, I'm really interested in how people write instructions. And as a teacher of technical writing, um, a lot of the instructions on instructables violate the things that I teach my students to do, but they're actually really uh, effective for the people who read them. So I'm, I'm curious about that. So I've been taking a lot of notes on articles about how to write instructions and articles about amateurs and uh, do-it-yourself things and stuff like that. So I'll be, I, I've taken all my notes and I've got them all finished. And then I'll, uh, I'll just start looking and, and saying, you know, I'm really talking about this concept of uh, personal narratives and instructions. So I'll I'll choose a note that um, is about personal narratives, and I'll click on the C also, and I'll see a bunch of other notes. I'll say, oh, this guy, uh, Peter Dormer, has has a note that's related, and I'll click on it, and I'll see it in the window, and I can read it and say, oh, yeah, that is related. And I'll, and I'll take that note, and I'll put it into this other app that I use for brainstorming called Tinderbox, and I'll make a little link between the two. And then I'll go back to, to Devin Think and, and look at a note, and it'll show me related notes, and I'll just keep following trails like that it's not really a very 
efficient process maybe, but I think it's more for helping me find associative links between texts because some of these texts I read, I may have read two years ago for a different project or I may have read four years ago. I'm not going to remember them and, and pull them back up. And sometimes they're not going to come up with a keyword search because I, you know, they, they might not be specifically use the word personal narrative, but they might be related and that artificial intelligence can find that out. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. The, um, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, we're just dealing with a little technical issue on a side, so I got distracted. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, uh, I'd like to talk for a minute about Tinderbox, um, because this is another app that's been on the radar. We've heard about it from a lot of people, but I haven't, um, I have never used it myself. And, you know, one of the barriers of entry for Tinderbox is the price. It's really expensive. What is that yeah. app cost? It's, it's like 250 Yeah, yeah. So, so how does that fit between uh, Dev and Think? Well, so, so Dev and Think is the database, and Tinderbox is w- just where I work, where I, I do outlining and I'll make links between things. And uh, it'll, th- that, th- that's, you know, I, I like to create a big visual map and then move notes around and then turn that into an outline that I can dump right into Scrivener. They, so you the new ideas. Updates, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was listening to your thing, and I was like, "Oh man, that's exactly what I do." Only Tinderbox lets me make draw connections in a in a much more flexible ways than the iThoughts HD. Which I mean, I think if if folks are are getting by with iThoughts HD, I think that's great. But if you're finding that you want you want a little bit more, I think Tinderbox can really do that for you. And it, it does go on sale on a fairly regular basis, you know, two times a year or so. So you can watch for it that way i think i'm gonna have to just start watching for that sale and just try it yeah and you know it's the the user forum is really useful for the the program and the the thing that's kind of intimidating to people is they look at it and they're like well i don't know what i would do with it and if you just start working with it then you start seeing uses for it all over the place because it's really an environment more the more so than an app for doing one thing. So this guy just came into the user forum a couple of days ago and was saying he was doing his PhD thesis and you know he wanted somebody to give him a step by step about how to use the app to do his thesis and the developer was in the form and he was like, well, you know, if you're doing a thesis on anthropology versus biology, you're going to probably end up using it really differently. So it really supports the kinds of writing that you want to do and the kind of links that you want to make. Um, I mean, it's sort of like imagining uh, hypertext wikis and uh, iThoughts HD all, all wrapped into one. Yeah, well, explain to me a little bit there. Where, you know, where does iThoughts HD fall down and you need to go to Tinderbox? At what point you know, do you hit that ceiling? Yeah, n- number one, um, the, the key idea to think about with Tinderbox is that it's the little notes. So like in iThoughts HD, you would have like a node and it would be like the note and the title and you could move that note around. And Tinderbox, when you have that note, you can add layers and layers and layers of metadata to that. Um, so you can create your own metadata. So I created a field called tags that I use to, to do some minimal tagging in a document. I create a field called author, title, year, so that if I'm bringing in reading notes from DevonThink, I can connect that to the citation information. You heard from the previous two guests how important that is for academics. Um, And then I can create a bunch of other metadata for for what I want. And then you can create these things called agents, which are essentially um, persistent searches that can find um, notes based on that metadata. And then not only they can find them, but they can do things to them based on that. So I can say just in one 
in one stroke say, turn all of my notes that are tagged um, rhetoric blue right now, and it'll do it. So, you know, and then I, you know, I can draw links between things and it's the, the links are really nice on the visual map now because it'll draw this, this arrow, just like on iThoughts HD, but things can be linked in a non-hierarchical way. And then you can click on something and you can see all the links that, that come out of it. And you can use the persistent searches that are called agents to color things based on the links. So what I like to do before I'm making an outline is make sure everything is connected. And so I can say, turn an agent and say, find anything that doesn't have any links and turn it bright red so that I can see it right away. Um, and then from there, you know, I've also used uh, Tinderbox to uh, – oh, one other thing. There's, you can also create these things called adornments on the maps. So imagine on, on iThoughts HD, you could draw a rectangle around a space um, and, and it, would be, it would be colored. And then any note that you put onto that rectangle, something might happen to it. Like it might turn a color or it might get a tag or um, it might get a link to something else. So then you can create – it's almost like a program where you dump notes onto things and things happen to them. And uh, they move around. And, and, but those adornments don't show up on the outline. They're just action spaces. So I've yeah. cre- I use that to create a syllabus machine. So I, I take all the readings that I might want to do and I put them on uh, – Tinderbox, and then I use the adornments to sort of track. Oh well, this you know I might put it here uh, to to be for the first week instead of the third week, and then the adornment adds all this metadata to it so that I can export it as a schedule, you know, just like that. Yeah, and you know where the problem for me this is a this is pretty remarkable stuff. We always have uh, listeners complaining that we cost them too much money because we talk about something and they go buy it. And uh, this show is having the inverse effect on me because now I'm going to be buying papers and Tinderbox and all these apps. But the uh, <laughs> but the uh, getting back to it, you know, for me, one of the big benefits of doing this through iThoughts HD is the mobility part of it because uh, for you know, because I'm so slow and dense, it, I have to come back to these things constantly and tinker with them. And with iThoughts HD, I can get it, you know, with it on my iPad, it's basically very portable. So, like, when I go to lunch, I'll take my iPad with me, and after I finish my taco, I'll spend 15 minutes kind of going through these things, where something like Tinderbox, you're going to have to be at a Mac to use that, right? That's true, although Tinderbox does speak uh, your beloved OPML, so I think you can make them go together uh, maybe not a non-trivial way, but it would be easy enough to make them go together. And Tinderbox is is run by you know it's a single developer shop, and he, he's working on on an iOS thing because I think he realizes that that that's what people want. Um, but you know, you, you never know how long something like that might take. And he's he's really yeah. continuing to update and add features to the app, so it's an in a version 5.11, I think, right now. And he's, he's working on 6, and you know he's, he's said things about it on his blog and things that I think is going to be really nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Could, would a decent workflow for this to be to work in iThoughts HD for a certain amount of time, then send the OPML over to Tinderbox, and from there you can start working in Tinderbox? I guess that would be the way to do it. Well, th- I mean, that would be a way that you could do it if you like iThoughts HD. The, I always love to start in Tinderbox, and and you can. The developer has written about this in his blog and different places. But Tinderbox is really great for emergent ideas. Like I don't know how things are are related when I first start, so I just start throwing notes out there and moving them around. Almost like one thing that I used to do in college is 
I would write a bunch of stuff. I would cut up the all the paragraphs that I had written in the paper, and I'd go to a big table in the library and just start moving them around until things started to, to fit together. And that's what Tinderbox lets me do. And it, and it really, to me, I don't I don't like to work in regular mind mappers anymore because they seem too hierarchical. Like I'm not ready to say that this is a child of this just yet. I want to move things around and and play with what a possible order might be. All right, you uh, you have tempted me. I don't even know if I'll be able to wait for a sale now. <laughs> Damn you. Well, uh, and then I also see that you're a Scrivener user, but uh, we've talked about that a lot in the show. Um, yeah, and, uh, so and, you do, But you do your writing in, in Scrivener. Yeah, just recently I've, I've switched over to Scrivener, and it works so well with Tinderbox and DevonThink. You know, they all play so nicely together that it just makes sense. Yeah. Now, what is your experience with the other members of your profession? I mean, do you see a lot of people adopting these technologies, or are you kind of out on an island right now? Well, you kind of have to. Uh, I look at my discipline in two ways. First, I, I'm a member of a kind of uh, subgroup of the of the English profession called, you know, where we study computers and writing, and we go to a conference every year, and everybody in that group is into teaching with technology, and we're all choosing new things and doing it, and it's great. Uh, and then you look at the larger group of English teachers and, you know, there's people in my department who force the secretaries to print out their emails for them because they don't want to read the email on the computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my one last request um, is please, please, please don't tell me how badly I wrote Mac at work, iPad at work and paperless because I'm not a prof- I am definitely an amateur at this stuff. You know, just the way that you're mixing all those things. The big, the big talk in, in my field right now is what they call multimodality or using text and images and video all at the same time. And people in our profession are really starting to to publish that way and look into it. And I think you're at the at the forefront of that with paperless. So it's it's pretty uh it's pretty cool to see to see that stuff taking off. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I won't write another book without using those technologies. It was just so hard to do it before they existed. And now that I I feel like I'm a spoiled child, I have these tools, I'm going to use them. I mean, I've turned down book deals because people don't want, you know, want me to use the old paper. It's like, I can't imagine doing it. About being an academic is you have to publish to keep your job. And people at the top don't always think that publishing these multimodal, you know, new, new, new media things counts as, as real work. And, you know, as, as, as you know, it's just, it's just as hard to write something like that as, as it is to write something in, in a regular form. And in oh, fact, it's harder, it's yeah. harder and, but it makes a better product. Well, you know, this is great. So we've had the triumvirate of academics and we've got a lot of great information and you guys have cost me a lot of money, but that's okay. I think it's going to make me better at some of the things I do. So I'm, I'm down with it. Great. Thanks, Derek. Thanks a lot for having me. So we've got Jean McDonald in the chat room, and this is a special occasion because not only is it show 100 for Mac Power users, but we need to say a special thanks to Smile Software, not only for sponsoring this podcast, but for sponsoring us since really the beginning of the time that we've had sponsors. Smile has has really been a, had a special place in our heart because Smile was the first sponsor that really came to us and said, hey, Katie and David, I, I think you guys might have something special here, and and we want to be a part of it, and what can we do? And yeah. David and I said, really? Yeah, we were clueless. We were just making shows. We hadn't approached anyone about sponsoring us. or you know, We'd done basically everything wrong, and they came to us and said, we want to give you money for you to talk about our products. 
which we were doing anyway because we love <laughs> we their do. products. <laughs> so they didn't have to do that, and it, it means a lot to us that they've stuck with the show through um, all these years. And they are very special people. They make great – not only do they make great software, they're just also great people. Yeah. So and, let's um, talk about – Gina's so in the ta- chat room today, David, and she DM'd me just a minute ago and asked if, if she could give away some stuff to the people who are listening live in the chat room. Are you okay with that? Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. So if you're if you're listening live in the chat room, um, follow along. Jean might have some stuff for you. Yeah, and also she sent us something that we're supposed to open right now during the show. So I've got a cafe press box sitting here on my desk, and I and I guess I'm allowed to open it now, right? It's a gift to us, right? I think we're allowed to open it. You want to so go? So let, let's together? open them up here. All right. And let's see what's in here. It's a mug. It says Mac Power Aww. users on it. Congratulations, Katie and David on MPU 100. You always make us smile. Oh, nice. And it's got and the it's- Smile logo on one side and the Mac Power users logo on another. I'll have to put a picture of that on Twitter. Thank you so much to Gene and Greg and Philip. Uh, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Thank yeah. you. I'm going to be drinking tea out of that later. So let's talk so- a little bit about Text Expander, right? Yeah. I had a I had a great text expander moment at work the other day. I've been using text expander on my Mac and I've put with these great new fill-in forms that are available in text expander for um I've been putting entire pleadings now into text expander. So I just have drop down menus and say, okay, pick one or two. Is it he or is it she? And pick this, what type of pleading is it? Cause a lot of these things are really, you know, the same thing over and over and over again. And I've got it now that with just a few keystrokes, I've got an entire pleading that will pop down with just me, you know, making a few choices from a pop-up menu in text expander. And one of my partners was in my office and asked me to do something. I said, oh, yeah, just give me one second. I need to need to get this complaint out real quick. And he said, well, that's not going to take a second. That's going to take you like 10, 20 minutes. And I said, no, no, watch this. And I, I just typed three three words followed by a semicolon, which is my text expander trigger. And all of this text popped up on the screen along with this little dialogue box. And I picked a few things and typed a few words and picked a few more things. And right before my eyes, the entire pleading popped up on the page. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like the selection forms, you could say, you know, include the attorney fee clause or include this or that, you know, you can select box. I did a funny little video on it. We'll have to put a link in the show notes about that new fill in form, but I think it's just a really powerful feature. Absolutely. And I use text expander in so many ways, not just for the complicated filling out pleadings, but, you know, for filling out forms on websites, for boilerplate language to create different email signatures. And Text Expander syncs via Dropbox, so all of your snippets are everywhere, no matter where you need them. And there's this great Text Expander Touch that works on all of your iOS devices. And the really smart developers out there are building in Text Expander Touch support for their devices. And now then, Text Expander Touch will work in some of your favorite software as well, like Byword. Yeah, it's just amazing software, and it just continues to get better. Uh, the people at Smile are you know, dedicating time and effort to making this the best text expansion app out there, and it shows. We haven't even covered all the other stuff you can do, HTML, CSSS. It's got date and time stamps. Um, uh, look at the stuff Brett Terpster does, all the amazing uh, stuff where he puts code snippets in there, Apple scripts, just a great application. 
So you can learn more about Text Expander in watching that really cool Vimeo video that Max Sparky did that's just hilarious um, over at smilesoftware.com. You can pick up Text Expander for $34.95, but if you already own a prior version of Text Expander, the upgrade to version 4 is only $15, and you can find Text Expander Touch in the App Store for $4.99. All right, let's talk about our let's talk to our next guest, and this is one I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, um, Michelle Muto. Can we get Michelle in here, George? Hi, Katie and David. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for letting me celebrate show 100 with you. Yeah, well, Excellent. we were going to talk you up, but you can talk yourself up. Who tell tell us who you are and what you do? Okay, I'm Michelle Muto. I'm an independent author, which is another way of saying I do all the work of both author and publisher with the exception of services I contract out, like cover art or editing. Yeah. And I currently have two books out, which is uh, Don't Fear the Reaper and Book of Lost Souls, and my third book is due out this fall. Wow. You've been busy. <sighs> it never ends. Yeah, and, and Michelle is, is, is one of us. She's a former IT pro, and she's a tech writing professional who's gone over into fiction. And it's, it's, it's largely paranormal fiction. But, uh, you know, you started writing us a while back, and so I started looking at your site, and I just think you're kind of awesome, the stuff you do. And, and I'm way behind the whole independent author movement, as you probably could guess. So uh, when you wrote in, I was very anxious to get you on the show and hear what you had to say. Well, you couldn't be in the uh, business at a better time. I, I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, the world is changing, you know, and, uh, and you've got your, you know, you've kind of got your platform with, with your website, and I'm sure you've got a lot of fans. I got so, quite a few. So let, let's talk about what you do. Um, I guess you hire out some, like you said, the, the cover art, and, and do you hire out your editorial work as well? Absolutely. Um, I, I firmly believe that no author should edit themselves, at least for when it goes out into the real world. You can self-edit as, ahead of time before you send it out to your editor, which is what I do. But you're too close to the story, and you're Absolutely. too close to what you write, and you're it, likely it, to miss things. I always when I did when I went and did paperless because uh, the first two books I had uh, professional editors, and when I did paperless I I, would, I thought about George Lucas you know because the first Star Wars movies were awesome and then the second group of Star Wars movies he was his own editor in essence right and I wasn't a big fan so I said I I don't want to be Lucas so I went and hired somebody as well and uh, a lot of times they said are you on crack and that made the book better I needed to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, with this workflow that I've got set up now, especially um, with the automator script, which is part of the workflow I'm going to talk about, that actually came from George. George turned me on to that about a year ago. Um, I was on Twitter and saw George, and he mentioned this automator script, and I had to try it. Yeah. And, and you're talking about George Starcher, not Starch, George Starcher. Lucas, I guess. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was George Lucas. But uh, it, no, George just is George, George Starcher is much just cooler. as awesome. Um, he really is. He's a fabulous person. And um, he turned me on to this automator script, and I've used it for self-editing as an extra step. And I tell you, it really helps your manuscripts to be a lot cleaner because hearing someone read your own book back to you, it's different than even when you read it out loud. Yeah. Uh, reading it out loud really does help. But to hear someone else do it, and the fact that it's a computer and that it can't skip over words and it can't add you know, tone or voice, it really helps me with my ear so that I can listen to it. And I'm like, wait, wait, 
you know, the dialogue doesn't sound right or the voice isn't right or the pacing's off here. So it, it truly helps. Yeah. Now, do you listen to it sitting there at your Mac or do you put it on your iPod and listen to it while you're walking around? I put it on my iPod, um, a.k.a. Harry Potter. It's around here somewhere. Yeah. And, yeah, because I'm, I'm just an HP geek. But, all right. Um, all right. Yeah, I name all my devices. But I'll sit here and listen to it. I put it on my iPod. And this is after I've gone and done the red pen and killed my darlings and, and do several revisions. And my beta readers and my critique partners have gone over it. I will sit down and transfer this to audio. And listen to it on the iPod as I have the screen in front of me. And I'll read through along with what I'm listening to. And it's amazing what you catch. And I'm happy because this saves me money. Because time is money for an editor. And they're not cheap. As as you know, David, they're not. Um, So this makes my manuscripts much cleaner going in. So I think that they're a little cleaner coming out. At least I'd like to think so. Um, because my editor is not having to work as hard either. She can look at something and see it the first time through or the second time through. So that it, we're, not spinning, we're not going back and forth and then you miss something. Because the more times that she reads it, now she's too close to the story. Now, it's amazing. And everybody that's written anything knows that you know exactly what you meant to say. And your brain puts it in those words, even though it's it's just not there. <laughs> I mean, leaving out little words or just getting something wrong, a, a one and a zero you can get wrong. I can say, I can know in my head I meant to say yes, and, and I wrote no for some ungodly reason. Or it doesn't come out as concise as you'd yeah. meant it. So, so you use the automator script to read it out, make your edit. And then you're, you're doing your writing in Scrivener, right? Everything stays in Scrivener. Um, I do. I, I start writing in Scrivener. My research is in Scrivener. The character worksheets, my indexing, my plotting—it's all on the index cards on Scrivener. I compile it and send it out when it goes to my uh, beta readers and critique partners. I'll make changes in Word or Pages, whichever one that they're using, and then I actually import it back. So Scrivener. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, so you come back. Contains everything. It's my master, because otherwise I get all these files. And even if I name them correctly, I'm hunting for them. Right. All I know is, is that Scrivener's my master, and it's all there. And my other files are named you know, app- uh, appropriately with the, you know, the date behind them. Generally, when I, that's, you know, I have my, my file structure so that I'll have old versions, and then I have working versions so that I know that my current Word document is, is in front of me, and unfortunately, I have to use Word, um, at least for... Most of the stuff, because what Scrivener doesn't really compile out into pages, and that's no fault of Keith. Um, yeah. That's Apple limitation. And I think the only time I ever touch pages is when I actually go to format it for print before it goes off. But everything stays inside Scrivener. I'll just keep okay. it back. I, I think a couple of people in the in the chat room, so maybe we are confused. So maybe we skimmed over this a little bit too much, but. Walk us through a little bit more step-by-step exactly how you get that audio file, how, how you go from text to audio file on your iOS device. The first thing I do is inside Scrivener, I compile the manuscript, and then I export that to a Word document. Okay. And I save that to my desktop, and then I keep that document open. I open that document up. And then in System Preferences, I adjust the speed of the speech setting 
I, I tweak it down a little bit, maybe by 5 or 10%, so that it's a little slower than what I'm talking now, because it's just easier for editing. Right, but not quite slow enough that you're getting distortion. Right. Um, and then I select a voice, and I like um, Selena. It's a, it's a British voice. And the reason I found I that chose, Americans tend to be more attentive to British voices. And that's exactly the reason I use it. Yeah. So, um, plus, it just sounds so good. It, it really sounds wonderful. Um, then I name the file. It's inside the script. It asks for a name. And then I run the script. And then when the script is complete, it puts the file on my desktop. But it also imports it into iTunes. So, after that, I just, um, I've copied the file onto my iPod. And then I just, I play it from there. So... That way I can I, – I like the iPod better than putting it on a device like, say, my iPhone. It's just easier to scrub back and forth and pause on yep. that old wheel than it is uh, on a screen. It's a little bit more precise. Um, and I just keep the manuscript in front of me. And, you know, you blow it up nice and big and nice big print so you're seeing it. Um, and that's how it works. It's, it's so simple. Yeah, and that's a really great way to uh, do. You can also have uh, the Mac read back to you with a service. If you can select text, you can have it read back without going through the step of converting it. But you don't have quite as much control. It's just going to read it through. Right. So if you need it to pause for a moment so that you can go in and change something, you're trying to hit the space bar, and then if you're trying to edit and you're hitting a space bar, then you're you're kind of conflicting with what the. uh, dictation is doing as far as you know reading it back to you. Yeah. So when you're editing, you're actually editing it on your Mac with the document open. You're not doing this with pen and paper in front. Of, I, I guess it depends on the on the person. Some people, you, could. you know, feel like they need to have pen and paper in front of them, or maybe the document open on an iPad and a PDF so they can you know physically touch it, so to speak. I, I guess it just depends on the person. And I do uh, print it out and edit with red pen as well. Um, but that's the step before this one. This yeah. was this is my end all. Now you could do it both. You could convert it twice so that you can listen to it as you're at red pen editing, and then when you make your changes and, and fixes, then you can go back and do it again and just create another audio file, um, and then do it the second time on the screen. I I like printing it out and doing it that way first because there is something to be said about um, seeing it not on a screen and and some of the things that you catch that you don't seem to catch when it's on a screen. Um, but at the end all process, it, I have it on screen and my iPod on at the same time. Yeah. Now, now that's really useful. I, I don't do that. So I'm curious how that works. I'm, I might have to try it. I, I highly for, recommend it. For fiction, it, it definitely makes sense. But even for, for legal writing or technical writing, I can see using that. I mean, frankly, the, the way I try to write technical writing is I try to give it kind of a story and make it more personal. So I can see a definite use for that script. Yeah, that's uh, one of the I, things I noticed in your, in your book, um, Paperless. It, it was brilliant, by the way. Um, and I really love the tone and I love the voice. And you didn't strip it and make it sound over-technical and boring. I liked that voice. Um, so. Yeah, my whole my whole thing for the field guides is I want them to be the Pixar books of tech books. I mean, I want them to have good technology, but they need to tell a story. And it's got to have personality. Yeah, and it's just me. I mean, frankly, not having the the big publisher looking over my shoulder let me be more of myself. 
which is a big deal. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why you're doing this independently as well. Absolutely. Um, it's not that I'm not pro or, or con one or the other. I'm pro story. So whichever gets the best story out there, that's fine. Um, you know, it, it's just a great movement. I mean, we've got um, – Indies has been popular for the longest time in music. It's been popular in movies for the longest time. And now it's finally made its way to publishing. So yeah. it is an exciting time as long as people do it professionally. Yeah, there's no way a big publisher would ever let me write and publish a book that says I want to turn you into a badass wielder of technology. <laughs> that just wouldn't happen. You Have know? you gotten the T-shirt yet? No, but I think I may. I okay. think that may be a T-shirt because if you read those books, you are a badass wielder of technology. Anyway, uh, enough about me. Uh, sorry. Uh, 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 Michelle, tell me a little bit about this thing where you come back from your editor and you put the file back into Scrivener. I've never done that, and I've never heard of anyone doing that before, frankly. Um, I do it just because it's. My, I guess it's the OCD in me. So I'll just import it back in. Um, or simply, if it's just a chapter or two that she's worked on, I'll just cut and paste it right out of Word and paste it over top of the chapter that I've got inside Scrivener. Yeah. Uh, Scrivener handles it fine. It, it doesn't even blink. Um, yeah. and the next time I go to convert it out, uh, um, you know, compile it, it's, it, everything works. So it's kind of like, like I said, it, it, since um, Scrivener holds everything, like the research and the document and everything of the sort, it just makes sense in that binder to me to have that as my master so that I don't have to go, okay, the last date I have to look and see which file is the newest to know that that is my master. Here I don't care. It's Scrivener's got it. Yeah. So then, so you you drag the the actual word file with the track changes into Scrivener, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that goes like into maybe a research folder or a drafts folder or something. Right. And then from there, do you copy and paste the text into the working document as well for the finalized text, or do you just leave it there? Um. Sometimes I, I'll leave it there. It depends. But most of the time, I will actually do the cut and paste and move it over. Sometimes I don't even you know I don't even drag it in. You can import. You can use the import feature and import everything back in. Um, the difference is is that some of your chapter settings and headings and that kind of store and your scenes might change, and you have to go back and put those in there a little bit. So sometimes for me, it's just faster to just do a co- uh, copy and paste and just slap it over top of my chapter in Scrivener. So yeah. I just go in and I'll say select all and highlight the whole thing. And I've already got the other thing on my clipboard. And then I just dump it in. Yeah. Now, are you looking forward to Scrivener for iPad? Oh, I am. I, I really, I'm dying to try it. Um, because there's so many times I'm just so tired. As you know, when you're writing, it, it's not only a lonely thing to do, but you're here for hours and hours on end. Sometimes you're in front of your computer for 12 and 16 hours a day. And you get tired of sitting in one place and you can have a laptop, but it's not quite the same. So to be sitting on the couch and kind of watching TV and winding down and still making some small changes would be great to do on an iPad and Scrivener. Are you using any of the ability to sync with some of the iOS text editors now? Not really. Um, I use Dropbox so that I can sync up Scrivener between my laptop and my iMac um, I also use it for backing up my uh, manuscript and, of course, several ways I back up the manuscripts because you're always paranoid you're going to lose one, especially versions of them. 
Um, but other than that, I really don't. Um, like I said, you know, for this process, you know, Scrivener, Word, Pages, I don't use. I don't even use Calibri. When it goes to exporting and making an ebook, um, Scrivener even takes care of that for me. It will make it into a Kindle format. It makes it into an EPUB format. It spits it out into a Word document in case I use it on Smashwords. Um, so it all works out rather cleanly. Well, and Text Expander. Uh, Yes, Smile Software, you've got me there because I live for text, text Expander on my, um, with my workflow as well. It truly yeah. helps. Do you have any unique uses for as snippets? I mean, in, in reading fiction, is there little snippets you use that we wouldn't think of otherwise? Oh, yeah. Um, mostly what it does is corrects words for me that I would normally misspell, especially when I'm typing quickly. Yeah. Um, but when I, I have a snippet that fixes my name when I misspell it. I, sp- I do too, Katie. I do too because I inevitably I will type and type an MC instead of MIC all the time. Yeah. But for when I reply back to readers, because sometimes they'll ask um, same questions over and over, so I have a snippet for those. Um, sometimes when I'm contacting book bloggers, I personalize it to some extent, but then th- there is a basic text which always stays the same. So that is for a snippet. Um, sometimes even stuff that I'll put uh, for sign- different signatures, things that I'll put on my blog. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of snippets from Text Expander that I use. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on. I, uh, I think this is a, a really useful. Uh, we haven't had a, a fiction, an a honest-to-God fiction author on the show yet, so you're the first. <laughs> well, thank you. And again, appreciate it. And congratulations on show 100. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Michelle. All right. Well, we're we're still plugging along here on show 100. I feel like we're back on track a little bit. The echo is yeah. gone. <laughs> and we've got our next workflow guest on the line, and that is Marcus. Welcome, Marcus. Well, thanks, Katie. It's good to and be here. Marcus, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist working in um, northern Alberta, Canada. Um, and I about uh, Four years ago, I went into private practice and uh, needed a way to manage my client uh, and all of their information. And, and I also write a lot of reports and, um, you know, I'm paid to do uh, work efficiently. Uh, and so looking at ways of automating became very, very important to my workflow and my, my patient management. So, And you're trying to get, I, I think, more paperless, and you're actually using FileMaker for a lot of this, right? Yeah, I use FileMaker for almost everything, and more and more, I'm, I mean, I built it um, in a modular fashion. So I started with basically a CRM, and then I've added um, invoicing and uh, uh, the the ability to uh, obviously manage contacts and manage the files. Now we're looking at at ways of of implementing it for testing and administering tests. Um, there's a lot of copyright issues around that, so it's pretty limited right now. But um, and uh, and and report writing and uh, and we also use it on our iPhones and iPads, so we've got remote access. And yeah, so it's it's quite a quite an intricate uh, system right now. And, you know, FileMaker's integration with iOS is really remarkable because it's it's not a simple program. Uh, nevertheless, you can get access to all of your data from those iPad devices, and you can modify it as well. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is in their newest version that came out of about four months ago, I guess. Um, their iPad app is now free. Um, and so, you know, you can get into, uh, as a corporation or as a business, you can, you can launch a FileMaker solution and, and exclusively have your staff use it on an iPhone or iPad. And, um, and you're not playing for multiple client licenses, which is really important to me. Um, now the remote access stuff, David, I, I was, you know, I had a lot of playing around with that and I live in Northern Alberta and there is a lot of um, low quality to no quality 3G cell phone services. And often I'm going into remote Aboriginal communities um, where, you know, the edge of the world where it stops. Yeah, that's the last community before that point. Yeah. And, um, and there's just, there's no 3G there and I needed to be able to work. And a syncing became really key. And, and fortunately, FileMaker has some really excellent solutions around that um, that we've been able to deploy. So we'll explain that a little bit further. When you remotely access an, uh, a database, traditionally, you need to be able to uh, be live and connected into the database. So you need win- internet connectivity. What FileMaker on o- OS allows me to do is to run the application um, internally on the iPad. So I don't need internet connection. And then when I get back to, an, to internet, wherever it exists, or back to my office, I can hit a button and it'll... It'll find the live database and send the information in, update the information on the database, and then pull any new information out and reload the iPad or the iPhone or whatever it is so that um, I'm ready to go with the most current information on my on my remote devices. Yeah, and from a software development standpoint, that is so difficult to do because yeah. that you have syncing at that point, and there, are, there will be inherently syncing conflicts. Uh, whereas where you have a live connection, you have very, very much smaller likelihood of these syncing conflicts. So in enabling this, there's some real uh, rocket science behind that at, on FileMaker's end. Yeah. Now, that's where, that's where the developer community really steps in because there are a couple of plugins for various solutions or various ways that you're working. The one that I use is called GoZinc, and um, they... Uh, they kind of manage all of the how to wire up your database properly, and um, and uh, you just integrate it into your service. And their recent recent re, um, release makes that even easier. And you have to make some decisions around how you want to handle conflicts, uh, but there's far less coding than than you'd think. And you know, David, you'd said that this is pretty. Difficult. My experience with FileMaker is, uh, you know, I'm a psychologist. I'm not a developer, but I am a geek. Um, and but it didn't take long to learn this because it really is WYSI, WYSIWYG, and and it's pretty. There's pretty good support in there, and you know, it's it's. And if you get stuck, there's a really good developer community that can help you out. So, I think it's really yeah. doable, and manageable for most people. Yeah, and what I meant was from the backend stuff. You know, Apple owns FileMaker. I don't know if you knew that. You probably knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the back-end stuff to make that work so you can have those simple tools is not easy. And no. uh, they've managed to pull it off. The, uh, but, but I agree with you that developing for FileMaker is not rocket science. And you don't have to be a computer science major to do it, which is great. Right. Because, you know, it used to be that in order to have a, a, 
a thorough database program, you needed to have a wizard, someone that built it and managed it for you. And if the wizard wasn't there and something went wrong, you were screwed. And mm-hmm. that's not the case with FileMaker. You know, you can, if you're geeky enough, figure it out on your own and build it yourself as well. Yeah. Now, you know, there has been a lot of debate amongst my family and some of my um, the people who support me in my business and saying, you know, Marcus, you got to, one of my uh, staff said to me, Marcus, you have two businesses. You're a psychologist and a web developer or an IT, and, and one of them doesn't make you any money. Um, and so, you know, as, as a business owner, I do have to be very careful about how much I manage my time. Um, but that being said, it is so helpful when I go and a staff member says to me, well, couldn't we do it this way? Or I think, oh, it'd be so much easier for, if it would just do this. And I know that in an hour or two at home, I could I could make that a reality because I did look at, at you know, pre-built CRM services and all of them didn't do one or two or 10 or 20 things that I really wanted and needed. And once I was integrated into it, I was locked into their way of working. I couldn't tweak it. And I love the fact that I can tweak this thing to make it mine. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to get away from the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's the way it's going. And, uh, and our listeners are at the vanguard. Now, what kind of data do you have stored in the database? Is it just copies of, uh, of what you would normally have stored in a paper file? Or are you also um, managing like you know, more traditional paper records and billing? And is everything in a series of FileMaker databases? Yeah, pretty much everything is, Katie. I, uh, um, I mean, all, all the contact information, um, and I've, I've, I've got a plug-in that I can use that would push that out to contacts so that um, if, I got, if I want that information in my contacts, I can have it there. I've got uh, it drilled into uh, iCal so it can pull information and send information to iCal. Um, or I could just have it all integrated in the database itself. And I haven't quite finally decided which way I want to go, but I am leaning towards just keeping it all within FileMaker. Um, you know, talking to other programs is, is more complicated, but I mean, yes, I'm doing all that information. And then I also do individual client records. And so I've got um, one of my tables is, is file info and each record is a unique paragraph that goes into the client file. And then I can, take those and sort them and filter them to create reports or to, uh, and that's integrated into my outcome records. So I can now sit down after I see a client, they come in, they fill it, uh, a form very quickly that tells them, uh, tells me how they're doing. I have a conversation with them. They leave. I sit down on my iPad, my iPhone, my Mac. I quickly type out a note and I work a lot with our child services authority up here. So they want contact notes right after. I hit a button. It produces this report that has all that information plus a chart of their progress underneath. Um, and I just I hit a button. It sends an email. That information then goes back into and, and it makes a record in my database saying this email was sent to this person. And it also saves that to my hard drive, which then I actually use Automator and AppleScript to get that to the right place. And then I, if I hit a button in my FileMaker, it runs a script that pulls every file in my database that has that client name in it, and it creates this drop-down list, and I can pick it, and it just pulls it up, and I can see it again. 
Did you set this up yourself? Did you bring in a FileMaker consultant to help you set this up? Did you build it from the ground up? I, I can answer that question, I bet. Okay. Having talked to, uh, you know, you did it yourself, right? I, yeah, yeah. I imagine you did. Ground up, right? Yeah. Well, then the reason is, I mean, when you're living in northern, in a rem- rural and remote location, I, I treat and I do everything and anything because I have to. Right. There is. I am the I am the expert in FileMaker in a 400 kilometer radius. That doesn't mean I know everything, or that if I was in an urban center, I'd even be scratching the surface of being an expert. But I am the only person I know of in this area that uh, no. There's one two hours, three hours north of me that's also using it. You know, but there's one right. Is there ever any concern? I guess having all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Well, that's part of the way, reason I still have um, tentacles into contacts and into um, calendar, and also when I'm when I've got a record, I do I do save it as a PDF, which I encrypt and save on my encrypted hard drive um, because I've learned the hard way. The database is a working, living document, and the records change, and so the only way to really make sure I've got a I've got a medically secure and properly documented record is to push that out to a static PDF page. So that becomes part of my backup. I'm also working on integrating a versioning system into it that's almost ready to be done so that I can roll it back if something changes, which is a big part of what's important if you're going to do asynchronous syncing. So you've basically built your own content management system from the ground up using FileMaker. Yeah, and I do, as I said, with psychologists, we're doing a lot of testing, and I know some of your other uh, one of your other guests was saying he does a lot of writing and it, you got to manage this huge amount of information. Well, some of these tests have, have four or 500 questions and all of their scoring systems um, are available, but you have to have a, a Windows to use them. Well, I had to find a way to to make this. And again, there's some copyright issues, but I'm starting to develop some of my own tests or using some open source quote unquote tests. And in those, I can score them in 30 seconds. Wow. You know, nice. and that, and produce a report with the chart, saying here's the items that they scored, here's the answers that they gave, sort them by their answers, and, and the client sits on their iPad, they answer the questions. I go back to my Big Mac, I hit a button. A minute later, I come back with a report saying, "Here's what your answers are. Let me tell you what this means." I can't tell you how important that is to my clients. Yeah, yeah. So, so and what are you going to do when it's done? Well, you're going to retire and sell it. No. Well, I, I actually got because I built it modular. I'm, I'm I am uh, at uh, if you don't mind me mentioning at, at humanedevelopment.com is the name of of the um, business that I'm starting on the side, and we are looking for people who are interested in exploring this solution and and beta testing it. Um, and we're just doing the CRM part of it, so the contact management, file management, and and simple report generation. But it does have off-site backup that is secure and it does have the capacity to run on multiple platforms it doesn't have the invoicing it doesn't have the testing it doesn't have um the uh, the calendar part of it but that will come and that will also be add-ons and uh, and so i plan to have two businesses that both make me money at some point um but but right now if there are people that are listening to this and are interested they can go to that site and send me uh an email and um once we're ready to launch the beta which will be in a couple months, I'll send it out to everybody and, and see how it works and, and out in the wild. 
We'll and I put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll yeah. Get in it's already in. Perfect. Oh, I appreciate that, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you. And by the way, um, if I can just be a fan for a minute, uh, when I grow up, I want to be David. Me too. Oh, I want to be David too when I grow up. I, I listen to what you're doing, David, and, and all this stuff. And I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I want to do my own podcast. I want to write books. Uh, you, you know, you, you guys are a constant source of inspiration, not only for the guests that you bring in, but just, you know, how you manage it. At some point, I'd love, I'd love to hear more about how you time manage all of that because that's been my biggest crisis in, in my life in terms of running a business and a firm and all of this. But I digress. No, it, it's tough. I, you know, uh, Sean Blanc put a post out this week. It was by was it E.B. White who wrote Charlotte's Web? I don't remember. Yes, uh, so. And so E.B. White had written a letter to a, a kid who had written him saying, you know. Uh, it's hard. Who, who wrote and said, "When are you going to write another book?" And he said, "Well, it's really difficult because I spend all my time answering letters to readers from the first book." <laughs> and and then he um, and then he got a very nasty email, or I guess I'm sorry, I'm dating myself. He got a very nasty letter from a librarian in like 1969, and he wrote her back explaining that it had become a full time job for him managing the book that he had written. And I don't think he ever did write another book, if memory serves. Yeah. And uh, it, it is tough, you know, when you do all these things and you have a family. But uh, I think for me, the key is that I just love everything I do. So yeah. And uh, and and for me, the hardest part is saying no. And I'm getting better yeah, at that, but too. I still don't do it enough. You know, you really need to say no to a lot of things to say yes to a few really good things. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. Thanks. The chat room's already put the link up for the Sean Blanc post. I'm going to go ahead and put that in the show notes. Thanks, everybody. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and if um, I mean, there's also if people want to are interested in in rural and remote uh, psychology and, and issues of clinical psychology, either as as a as a loved one or as a patient or as a as a professional, I do have a, a web page that's going to be more blogged in the very near future, but it's just marcusswift.ca. And um, I'd love to get uh, connected into this community a little bit more. It'd be a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. Make sure we get a link to that in the show notes as well. Already in. All right. Well, thank you, Marcus. Thank you, guys. All right, David. Well, I think we need to take another break and uh, talk about our exclusive sponsor for this show. Once again, that is Smile. And I got to give you props because I just watched this amazing video on PDF Pen for iPad. Might you know anything about that? Yeah, that was my uh, that was my big uh, thing the last month. I've been working on it for a month now, and it just came out yesterday. It's. I told Gene that it would be twenty minutes, and it ended up forty eight minutes. Out. but I I just talked about how I use PDF pen for iPad and I went through the whole thing soup to nuts and it was a lot of fun making it. And uh, I think it came out pretty good. So uh, if you have any question about how to use this PDF pen for iPad, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, I think they're going to put it up at smile somewhere. I I bet it's probably already there by the time we get the show posted. Yeah. And, uh, and it's on my Vimeo channel. It's on maxbarkey.com too. So, uh, it, it is a really soup to nuts description, though. I go through the whole thing from how to install it to how to do some pretty sophisticated stuff with the application. And for me, PDF Pen for iPad really scratches an itch. Um, I, I wanted it a PDF app that makes it very easy to get my hands on the annotation tools, but doesn't you know swamp me with user interface noise. 
And I wanted an app that could sync with both iCloud and Dropbox at the same time. Both of those things have advantages to me. Uh, For instance, I really like iCloud for what I call my hot documents, my 10 or 20 documents that I'm really working on at this time because the synchronization is just so fast and natural. I mean, I can make a change on my Mac and then have it on my iPad by the time I get to the conference room to show it to the client. Uh, But I also want the big, you know, volume storage you get with something like Dropbox. And the way they did it just works for me. So I was able to talk talk about how I did that. It's a it's a great application. It's just fifteen dollars, and um, I recommend you. I mean, the the app is fifteen dollars. The video is obviously free. Uh, but if you have any questions about it, definitely go check that out. Yeah, David's video is. If you like the OmniFocus videos for how to get started with OmniFocus, this is that for for PDF Pen for iPad. It is it is excellent. The tutorial everybody needs to check out. So you can find PDF Pen for iPad. It's fifteen dollars in the App Store. And if you like PDF Pen for iPad, you are going to love PDF Pen for your Mac. There are a couple of versions. There's PDF Pen, which is sixty dollars, or PDF Pen Pro, which is a hundred dollars. And this is the PDF Pen. Uh, PDF editor, excuse me, for your Mac that will do everything. Now, it not just only will display your PDFs, but it will give you the ability to interact with your PDFs. So, for example, you can OCR your PDFs. David and I have talked about how important OCR is for organizing all of your documents and being able to look into them and search them. Uh, It will give you the ability to redact information out of your PDFs. And we're not talking about just drawing like a black box over something that someone can just take their little pointer and move and see what you tried to redact. When you redact something with PDF Pen for Mac, it's actually redacted both the image and the data underneath the image. I use this all the time when I'm sending um, somewhat sensitive documents back and forth and I want to redact some or part of it. Um, and, And you can do so much more. You can edit PDFs. You used to think that PDFs were not editable. Well, they are with PDF Pen. You can add in information. So if you have this whole library you can create, I one of my favorite things to do is I've added my signature and I've added my initials. So if somebody sends me a PDF, I can add my signature to it. I can add my initials to it and I can send it right back to them. No need to ever use a fax machine again. Um, and then with PDF Pen Pro, you can do even more amazing things. Like you can pull an entire web page down off of the web and PDF it. Uh, you can create entire libraries of PDF that you can uh, bookmark and archive. And David, I know you do this quite a bit when you're getting ready for a trial or getting ready for a case. You you create PDFs that that have these bookmarks in them. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I, t- I covered that in the video as well because on the iPad they've got a really great feature. You push one button and it's right there. Right. And if you are somebody who is constantly sending somebody a document to fill out. PDF Pen Pro will allow you to create forms. So this is great for anybody who's a practitioner or who's constantly trying to get information back from people. This is how you create those fancy PDF forms that people can just type in and send back to you. So you can find more information about PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and PDF Pen for iPad. You can now have it everywhere over at smilesoftware.com. And we just want to say thanks once again to Gene, Philip, Greg, and everybody over at Smile for supporting not only this show, uh, but for Mac Power users for years and years. And they're just really cool people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our next guest. We're going to have Jeremy in. And uh, Jeremy is going to be talking about replacing his daybook with digital equivalents. Oh, yeah. Jeremy's coming all the way from overseas, so you've got to swim all the way across the pond. He is indeed. Jeremy, there you are. 
Hello. Welcome. And, and congratulations. Thank you so uh, much. I see we're going to lower the tone now um, from all these sort of university professors, authors and psychologists and people with more letters after their name than I've got in mine. <laughs> yeah, but Jeremy, you have a British accent, which makes you more credible than all of them combined. <laughs> yes, I know. But in about 10 minutes, I will have exhausted that advantage, I think. Well, use it while you got it. That's my advice. <laughs> Good advice, as ever. As ever. You wrote in with a very interesting thing because I think you've tackled the problem that I've been trying to tackle with my problem for my iPad, but never figured out how to do it. And that is... How do you take notes with your iPad? And mm. you do something which I've never done. You talked about how for years and years and years you've you've kept this day book, and then all of a sudden you stopped. So yeah. tell us a little bit about this problem and, and how you solved it and what you're doing with your iPad. Yeah, well, it was a, a sort of a confluence of events, really. Um, one was a physical thing in that I was tired of carrying around a 17-inch MacBook Pro everywhere. And um, my shoulder was beginning to ache a little bit. And then I was listening to a podcast where these uh, two lawyers who'd sort of, um, were sort of advocating a, a digital workflow. And I thought, well, how difficult can it be? Um, yeah, if, if so- lawyers can do it, it can't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, so I, I, uh, I stole your workflow and, and, and started using and effectively replaced my day book, which for those of you who don't use a book, I mean, everybody that I know, and I work with a lot of people who are younger than my children, um, um, but everybody uses um, a book with a hardback cover that they write everything in it. I mean, it's a good principle. It's almost a GTD principle insofar as it captures everything. You don't scribble on bits of paper. You don't use sticky notes. You don't leave notes all over the place. Everything goes in the book. It might take you a while to find it, but it's there. So I replaced that with NVALT on the iMac on my desk in the office and on my, um, my MacBook Pro at home, and that was synced with uh, SimpleNote um, on my um, iPhone and my, um, and my iPad. And that was fine, but there were two problems with that. One is that um, I'm not good at when I'm on the phone. I cannot type. I just, uh, I just can't do it. I've got you know 35 years of, of uh, um, sort of ingrained behaviour, um, and I really have to have a pen in my hand to, to scribble things down. And sometimes it's, you know, you can't fire up NVLT. I know it's really fast, but sometimes you just want to scribble down a number. For example, you're on the phone. It's just a number that somebody says or you know, a telephone number or whatever it is, a little note. If you've got a pad there, you scribble it down. But I've made the decision to go paperless and there will be no paper on my desk. The other problem was, was that, was that it, it, it's just, you know, I can't doodle. I can't scribble, you know, and, and all these things are sort of ingrained. Um, so then I hit on this, uh, this app, which is um, Notability, which I know you've spoken about before, David. And, and, and there are lots of, of, of sort of note-taking apps. But the thing that I liked about uh, Notability is that it allows you to write because in common with a lot of other pieces of software, um, and Katie, you tried to describe this uh, uh, the other day, that there's a, a sort of a Zoom box that you write into, which in effect transforms your sort of four or five inches of, of um, width on your iPad into a, a normal A4-sized uh, sheet of paper. And not, not only that, but the Zoom box actually moves along with you. And when you get to the end of the line, it scoots back to the start, a bit like an old-fashioned carriage return. So you can just write normally. Now, 
A lot of apps have that, but um, Notability is the only one that I've seen which has this feature where there's a, a pen style which is sensitive to the speed at which you write. So, for example, if you have a, a little flourish on a letter, for example, which you know the pen is traveling faster than it has been before, the line thins out. When it slows down, the line gets thicker, um, which is exactly how a nice pen works. And the, the thing about it for me is I actually like writing. <laughs> I, you know, um, I belong to a generation that, that, that used to have handwriting lessons um, yeah. in our You're earliest years at school. I am the last one. I am the last one. And um, as with so much of what I do, whilst my handwriting looks beautiful, the content is absolutely vacuous and pointless. But it, it, I, the point about it is that I do actually like writing. And if you feel comfortable in what you do, then you're more productive and uh, you're more effective. Being able to write actually on the screen of my iPad using Notability has allowed me to to sort of recreate the uh, um, uh, if you like the metaphor of um, of a notebook now one of the one of the many nice features of notability is it automatically saves every file that you write as a pdf i keep that in um, um in dropbox so it's automatically synced everywhere else and it's part of my sort of daily sort of work routine if you like when i you know i sit down in the office the first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee and i take yesterday's file which is automatically dated by notability and i drag it into evernote and i give it a quick tag of daybook and hey presto i have a daybook yeah i wonder if you could use hazel to automate that to some degree have i hazel look into your dropbox I, file tag it put it in the appropriate katie, evernote notebook. katie yeah. i have i have asked everybody including you oh, sorry. <laughs> for a, <laughs> for a way to do this um and i've tried adapting an, an apple script that you use to try and automate that. I know there is a way of doing it, and there are far brighter people who will tell me how to do you. this. <laughs> That's very kind All right, Katie's on the job. I'm going to get out. And another good resource is Hazel has a uh, forum, and there's a lot yeah. of smart people in there. I would check yeah. that out as well. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I, I like I mean, this sounds sounds terribly sort of fanboyish, but I mean, I mean, I do use um, I use Hazel. I was actually using Hazel before I heard your excellent podcast. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that's a that's an integral part of uh, integral part of my workflow. It's I mean, such a it, great it, automation tool, you know. Just yeah, it does ah, so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the other great thing about Notability is that it, I mean, it it allows me to. I mean, I attend uh, probably like you guys. I attend an awful lot of meetings, far too many meetings. And um, it's great just for you – know, uh, Notability will accept anything that you throw at it. I know a lot of other apps will do that, but you can chuck a PDF in there. I work a lot with, with architects. I can throw plans in there. Um, you can throw email in there. And I, I, I can just create in about five minutes, I can create a file which show all the papers that I need for a meeting. And they're all there. But the great thing about Notability is I can scribble on them. Just yeah. like you would, <laughs> just like you would, and that's important. I mean, there's a there's another slight factor which I think is you alluded to um, either in your excellent book, David, or on a previous podcast about the fact that some some people in meetings feel slightly uncomfortable with people um, certainly tapping away on laptops, um, but also tapping away on iPads. And this was mentioned to me by a client who was also a friend, and he said, "How do I know you're not just uh, you know playing a game?" And uh, I said, well, I am playing a game. 
<laughs> but I mean, it it seems to be okay for people to sit there and clear off their emails on their Blackberries, which they do all the time. But if somebody, but they, so anyway, the point about all yeah. that is is that if you're writing on your, you know, handwriting on your iPad, somehow people do seem to feel a little bit more comfortable. And I do te- attend the odd meeting where, you know, tensions can be running a little bit high and people are oversensitive about things and you really don't want to aggravate people uh, uh, more than is necessary. So it works perfectly there as well. You know, Notability, and, and one of the killer features for Notability is also the ability to record the meeting and it indexes the recording to, yeah. your, to your annotations. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so here's my deep, dark secret. When I need to capture a phone number or something, I carry those little field notes in my pocket all the time <laughs> with a pencil and I just pull yeah. it out and write it down. And then, and then when the day's over, within a day or two, I go through all those notes and I... I capture them digitally whether I put the phone number into a contact or whatever, and then I scratch a line through the page. It's very satisfying to do that. You know? So I've got this book of these little notes with lines through all the pages, and at the end I just throw the book away. Um, but I've never really given a, a serious attempt at capturing handwriting notes with notability. I'm going to try it now. Uh, see, the problem is, uh, unlike you, my handwriting is horrendous, even when I was <laughs> – even though – I'm, I guess I'm pretty old in digital sense, uh, but when I was a kid, I was never good at handwriting. When I took the bar exam and I had to handwrite a paragraph to prove it was me, I was stressing <laughs> out over how I handwrite a cue because I do it so freak- infrequently. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, yeah, I end up just typing. So when I sit in a meeting, I'll run Notability and I'll type just header points so I can index the meeting, but then I'll be taking notes in my, um, in my little field notes. Well, maybe that's not the most efficient way to do this. I'm going to have to take a look at this now. No, yeah, I mean, the ty- so well, I, I was I was just going to say that I mean, the typing feature in in Notability is also very useful because you can combine the two. You know, you, you you can be you can have text which is typed, and then they have a little feature which almost puts like a little almost like a sticky note on the page, so you could write on it. And I sometimes will in internal meetings, for example, where everybody has to put up the fact that I'm tapping away on an iPad. Um, yeah. I will use a, a, a little sort of sticky, which is sort of on the um, on the iPad, and I will handwrite the sort of the action points that have come up, and it's just a convenient way of uh, of highlighting the things which need to be done at the end of the meeting. What right, stylus now, are you using? Um, it's the uh, I forget who makes it. It's called Bamboo. Mm-hmm. Yes, is it, that's is it the Wacom company. make it? Yeah, is it, um, uh, which I really like because it's it's. Re- I am a bit of a pen geek as well. That's the other thing I miss about you see, David. You really buggered things up when you came up with this paperless workflow because I used to spend a lot of money on pens. That's the good thing. But I actually was a bit of a pen geek. I collected pens. I spent far too much money on pens because I liked writing. So when I wanted to buy a stylus, <laughs> I was looking up the size, the weight, the balance. Um, you take it for granted that it's going to write properly. Um, but I found that the um, that the bamboo was just nicely weighted. It felt like a nice instrument to uh, to to write with. Well, you know, there's you can become a stylus geek now. They're starting <laughs> to release styluses that are Bluetooth connected with the sensitivity built in, so you can press harder oh, really? with the pen, and it's a thicker um, skin. And what's the name of the one that's out now? Uh, it's, a, it's about a hundred bucks. Yeah, we saw a demo at MacWorld, I think. Yeah, um, beta uh, yeah. or something. We'll find it's it true. in the show notes. It's true what they say about you costing us all a great deal of money. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. And you can still have that fine pen. Oh, Jot Touch. That's Jot. it. Thank that's you. right. Ah, uh, yes. 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 I have seen so, that one. Yeah. So yeah. that's uh, 
there's another way to tempt you. Uh, and I don't know. I guess it, the app has to specifically develop it, but I suspect most of them will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know uh, PDF I mean, Pen for iPad already does, so it's pretty nice. If you press harder with it, the stroke comes out harder. But PDF Pen, and um, you're much closer to them than I will ever be, and I need you, I'm, I need you to lobby them on my behalf because th- they don't have that Zoom box. It's really yeah. difficult. I mean, and I... I, um, I correct um, word, uh, sorry, documents with my pen on an iPad in PDF. Yeah, um, well that, but that's it's handwriting me. And, and, and at the moment, PDF pen on my iPad doesn't work for me at all because I can't do it, because I can't write on it. That's a great point. I'm going to, well, I'm sure we'll they'll be listening to, to the show. I'm sure they'll be yeah. listening to the show, but that's a, that's a feature <laughs> they need to add. Now, recently Evernote came out with this um, Moleskine notebook that they're collaborating with that it has special dots on the page that you can actually take a picture of the notebook with the iOS device and it will sync with Evernote, which is an interesting idea that was very similar to the idea of the whole Pulse Smart Pen. I I wondered Mm -hmm. if you checked any of those out before you came across this workflow. I didn't. I mean, uh, I only saw uh, sort of the day before yesterday, I think, that the, in the recent updates to um, Evernote that they were doing that. Um, but no, no, I hadn't tried it before. The other app that I had used, which I think is great, um, was Circus Pony's Notebooks. Uh, I used that for a year. Uh, but again, the writing on it is not great. I also use, um, I can't remember the name of the company, it's a guy called Alphonse Schmitz, and he confusingly has uh, a great notebook program called notebooks <laughs> yeah um, another one yeah, but it, i'm familiar but with that app it's a good app the, yeah the interface is is gorgeous it's stunning um but he hasn't got that handwriting thing in there as far as i'm aware but i like the way that that organizes itself uh, another diary option i don't think this really works for you uh, jeremy because it's um it's not i don't think it recognizes handwriting but this day one app Everyone oh, yeah. has been talking about it's a really great iOS app, and it's got a Mac app, and everything syncs through iCloud. And then our friend Brett Terpstra just came out with a series of scripts called Slogger, where mm-hmm. it, it captures like your Twitter stream and all this. Stuff. It's, a, it's a way of diarying your life. And um, I'm going to give this thing a real serious look uh, the next couple of days because I think it's very interesting. But I don't really think it's probably the right fit for what you're doing because you know the handwriting is, is a big piece of what you're doing. Yeah, it is. I mean, and I, I've, it took me a long time to come to terms with it. I mean, I struggled for a year with not really taking notes. Um, and then, I mean, it was the iPad that did it for me. And I said, right, okay, now I've got this. I'm not going to generate any more paper. Wow. Well, hey, you're, you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, you've got you to know? get rid of those silly little I, field notes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I still got the field notes. Well, All thanks, right. Jeremy, well, for you, coming Jeremy. on the show. We really Absolutely. appreciate having you on, and, and it's always good you know, having one, someone from the U.K. to class to join up, and that's important <laughs> to us. It's an absolute pleasure, and thank you very much, and thank you for all your great work. I just wish it didn't cost me quite so much money, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> well, we, we intend to make sure it continues to cost you money because there's always <laughs> something good around the corner. We can't help ourselves. We've got our next guest ready to go. Bud is in a similar situation to us, or how we were several years ago, in that he is a uh, a person trying to use a Mac in, in what is very obviously yes. a Windows world. So, Bud, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, hi, yes, this is uh, Bud James. Uh, first off, I'm a raving lunatic fan for your show, and uh, yes, you do cost me money. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we get we that enjoy it. We're all in the same boat. Well, I've... Um, 
used to be in a business where um, where I was heavily using Macs because it was photographic and uh, graphic arts and things like that. And I made a career change around in 1993 uh, to financial services. And most currently, you know, for the last 20 years or so, I've been self-employed with that. And I'm a partner in a wealth management firm, and we're a pretty big uh, company. And uh, Dynasty Advisors is our company, and, and unfortunately, that when I went into the financial services, I had to give up my beloved Mac, which at the time was a Mac Duo. If you remember those, wow! Uh, All right, well, you've yeah. proven your credibility now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and ever since I went back to financial services, my first uh, PC that I had to use because nothing ran on anything like a Mac um, in the financial services business was a. Uh, uh, was terrible. Windows, uh, I forget what it was. It was like Windows 93 or 98 or something, but DOS was, some most, Some of the programs were DOS only, and it was torturous. You know, Fortunately, I didn't know that beforehand, otherwise I might not have got into financial services, but uh, oh well. Fast forward to uh, 2007, uh, always being a Mac fan. Um, of course, I have an iPhone when it came out. Well, you know, I was always an early adopter of stuff. Uh, a friend of mine owns four Apple stores, uh, retail stores, and uh, he says, I got to show you something. So he showed me a Mac Pro running Parallels 1. It was running Windows XP at the time. And I said, you're telling me I can run Windows and, and have all the good stuff about a Mac, but be able to run everything in Windows? He said, yes. I said, well, that's great. Um, I left the store with a brand new shiny MacBook Pro, and within three months, I bought five Macs. Wow. <laughs> okay, right. replaced, replaced everything. It had a... An IBM logo on it. Well, of course, at that time it was Dell. Originally, it was IBM. But basically, yeah. I've um, uh, replaced them all. And um, and so, in my process uh, and quest to you know, enjoy my computing experience, because I'm all, I use a computer like seven days a week and and all kinds of stuff going on with technology, um, I had to use uh, w- uh, Parallels. And you know, initially Parallels had a couple rough edges, and I kind of flip flop and flip flop back and forth between VMware. And parallels, uh, I kind of settled on parallels after around uh, version four or so, five or so. So I run now Windows Seven uh, inside a, a virtual machine on my Mac. My current machine that is like my work computer is a uh, MacBook Air, uh, 2012 version, maxed out with memory and you know a lot of good stuff. And um, and it's really an awesome machine because I plug it into my 27 inch Thunderbolt display when I'm in the office. And um, computing is, uh, has been nothing more than fun <laughs> ever, ever since I came yeah. to switch back. Isn't it funny how always when they do the benchmarks, the best computers running Windows are usually made by Apple? <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny about that is I tried the book, uh, what is it, Boot Camp? Uh, yeah. Before Parallels. And, um, I, you know, I, I kind of, now that I had a Mac, I said, well, you know, I wonder what Boot Camp is like. Because my son likes to play some games. Um, that's basically just in disguise for me saying I like to play games. And uh, it was not really, it was really ineffective uh, trying to flip flop back and forth between booting and not booting. Because, you know, with boot camp, as you know, you got to, you boot into a Mac, you know, you boot into Windows, and that's, and now it's a Windows machine until you reboot and, and bring it back to the Mac world. And that really didn't work for us um, because a lot of my, um, my web experience and a lot of my uh, creative stuff. I do a lot of writing. Like I create all our web content. Uh, you know, I'm a, I have a photography. I used to have a photography business years ago, and I've had that background. So, 
dealing with images and Photoshop and all that stuff was always so much better and still is, in my opinion, uh, in the Mac OS. And uh, but I, you know, couldn't get around the fact that I have uh, my broker dealer has technology that requires Internet Explorer, um, and that means I have to use some version of a, of Windows. And then what's interesting too is since the event of the iPad uh, and HTML5. Uh, our broker dealer claims that all you'll need is an iPad in a year and a half. You won't need a PC. You won't need anything to do most of the stuff that you do. I mean, that really is the future. And the legal industry is showing the same thing. I, I speak every year at the, the ABA's tech show. And you can see the futures clearly, these web-based data management services that are going to be, um, you know, a lot of there's going to be browser or specified apps that are going to be multi-platform that access this data. And, you know, the stranglehold that Windows has held over business is really loosening at this point. Yeah, I think um, I, I, what's interesting, too, is that really, uh, thankfully, it's kind of accelerating. And I think, quite frankly, the iPad is the, it was the catalyst that, that made all that happen. Um, and when I go to my broker-dealer three years ago, everyone was on Blackberries. And they had laptops, PC laptops. Uh, when I go there for meetings now, everyone has an iPhone, including the CEO. Not a PC to be found. They have a little portable typewriter, and they're doing everything that they need to do email-wise and otherwise with an iPad. So are you yeah. doing everything that you can on the Mac side and then just using Parallels for the, for the limited things that won't run on, natively on the Mac? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we've, um, we, we use ACT, CRM to bring everybody together and, you know, cause we got a lot of compliance, as you can imagine, we got a lot of compliance. We're dealing with investments, financial planning, and we got to document everything six ways to Sunday. And so we were using act and that's been great. The problem with act is it's client based and we have syncing with a server and all this stuff. And uh, so, but we have to use, it only runs on a PC years ago. They had a Mac version, but uh, when Symantec sold the company, Sage software discontinued the Mac version and it's been PC only ever since. And the problem with uh, ACT is every time they come up with a bug fix, uh, they call it a, a, a software upgrade. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm familiar with that. We end up, uh, we figured it out per, per person. Most of, our, most of our reps are, and we have 20 people total uh, using it. We, they're all running, uh, we, about six of them are running Max now because they followed my lead. Uh, but basically, it's $500 a throw to upgrade the software. And then you got to have our tech guy who we have a guy on, you know, kind of like on retainer to go around and do all the installations. And then, you know, there's issues with follow-up. So I did a cost analysis and basically every time we upgrade, it costs us uh, $25,000. And, wow. uh, and that's a lot of money. And um, so what's interesting is with the advent of uh, iPads and stuff, there's been a software company called Redtail that is basically a totally, uh, cloud-based CRM system, and they've evolved to the point where they have uh, the ability to take reps, can, you have permissioning, so you, you know, people only get to see the clients that are theirs and not like the whole database, which is a big deal, uh, and they've, they've implemented that uh, the, the beginning of this year, so we're now moving, actually we're, we're doing the conversion of the data next week, we're moving to uh, the CRM-based thing, so that will allow us to do uh, we'll, we won't need ACT. ACT will go away. So now I'll be able to use any kind of device to access it because it's, it's a browser agnostic. But I still have to use a trading platform that's only Windows and will only be Windows. But they have an iPad version, which is, gives you like 90% of the functionality. So there's other software technologies that 
are coming along, but we, you know, the, like if you get into a website, uh, use a, a couple products like eMoney and things like that for providing clients with their own personal website and secure environment for doing financial planning and all. And it works most of the most of the stuff works really well with any browser. But when you get into the the granularity of certain functions when you're doing the planning, it just doesn't work without Internet Explorer. And so you kind of have to have Internet Explorer. So I, I, I my in my dream world. I'll be down to having to use uh, basically just Internet Explorer, uh, but that's that's not you know uh, uh, that only on the on the on the PC side. So you know all the technologies that we use on the Mac, we you know the drag and drop, and, and it basically runs seamlessly. I've set it up for a couple reps, and one of the things that's so beautiful that even if you run 100% of your work on a PC, um, we had a rep who uh, uh, I think their kid got a hold of their laptop, and the next thing you know, it was blown up. Um, and I had to do a reinstall of the operating system. Well, anybody that's out there has ever, you know, every, I think David, you mentioned it every six months, you kind of have to strip down your PC and go through yeah. the loading of OS. And we've all been there. I mean, 98 was terrible for that. And, you know, Windows 7 has gotten really good, but it's still just stuff doesn't work sometimes. And so you end up rebuilding. What I'd done is I create, and this is probably the, the this is the money, the, the money event right here, I'm about to say. I build up a virtual machine that's Windows 7, has Office, has Outlook. It's all configured, has the printers that we use in our office, all, everything like kind of configured. NetExchange Pro, which is the application we use for our trading platform for our investments. And that's all on a virtual machine. Well, when he yeah. blew up his uh, laptop, I literally copied a 50, I put a 54 megabyte, or excuse me, gigabyte file, which is how big this virtual machine is. I put it on a uh, a thumb uh, or on a little portable hard disk, copied it over to his PC, and basically he was totally up and running with all the applications in around five minutes. Yeah, and, and I recommend that if you're running Parallels on a Mac, to build that ideal machine and then save it off, because you know you're running Windows, so eventually there is going to be a problem. And if you just have your basic hardware set up there, or I'm sorry, your basic software set up there where you can get back to it, all you have to do is copy that file back in to the Parallels directory and you're good to go. Yeah. The only challenge with the uh, MacBook Air is you're kind of doing it through a USB port is, you know, you better plan lunch or something because it kind of takes a little bit. But yeah. uh, but I have, um, you know, now that uh, basically Apple came out with their little, uh, their little uh, dongle, which I actually bought one. I'm so happy to have one. It's uh, it's the it's the um, uh, Thunderbolt connector to a uh, FireWire 800. Yeah. And so now, like a lot of those little drives that I've had that you know, were kind of sitting around, I can use them now for that purpose because they're fast now. But what I found is with Parallels, it's very very reliable. Um, you can run any. I've never had any compatibility issues. But the kind of funny thing that's happened is it's still a PC, and so you still have to have a virus software. But um, so that's the kind of little things that you kind of constantly when you're running Windows next right back to back with a, a, a Mac, it's very easy to continue to feel the pain and frustration of a Windows user. But it has gotten better. And the ability to drag files back and forth, because what I do is I typically I only put enough on the PC that's the minimalist stuff like the database has to reside, things like that. But everything else I use. Uh, I set up shared folders, uh, you know, that you can set up. So basically, the Mac and the PC can both see them, and then uh, and we use Dropbox uh, uh, a lot uh, too because that p- provides a common place where we can keep files safe and secure, and they're backed up on a regular basis. Um, 
where you can't, it's a little harder to do that on Windows. Uh, one thing that for those people that never run, uh, they give you an option when you set up parallels. You can opt out of parallels of being having that virtual machine backed up by Time Machine, and because I use Time Machine uh, as well. And you definitely want to do that because, you know, to try and for Time Machine, every time you open up your PC, it, it's another change. And, and Time Machine sees that as this 55 or 60 gigabyte file has changed and it tries to back it up continuously. And I, I found that to be a, just a... It's going to create problems. Yeah. Well, especially when you're doing wireless, you know, when you're trying wireless. So what I do is I just, um, you know, this is the geek side, right? But I got four hard drives, redundant backups of my uh, my working computer and because uh, I rotate them through a safety deposit box, and uh, basically I use um, uh, Super Duper, and I just kind of clone the whole thing uh, twice a week, and that's good enough because yeah. it's really important on the the drive, you know, because it's uh, it's all st- stored on the Mac. Because right. so. if you lose the Mac drive, you lose everything. Well, that's true. Yeah, you do that, but you know, a lot of our. Um, uh, when Dropbox came out, uh, you know, we have an issue with compliance that they have to look at, they have to be able to approve everything that we use, every piece of software, because uh, there's all kinds of security concerns, because we're dealing with, you know, people's money and stuff. And it's, it's, it's the industry thing. And what's interesting is that I went to them with Dropbox and um, I said, this is really cool. You should check this out. And believe it or not, they actually approved it for compliance purposes, which blew me away because I figured for sure that would be a no. Uh, they yeah. didn't have Evernote, but Dropbox, they're cool with it. In fact, they're all using it. So now I can actually use And we use it as our inner office. Like, uh, you know, we have like all our common brochures and things that, are, you know, are, uh, like we do model. One of my partners does model portfolios for investments. So he'll put, we'll put these things and we'll share the, the folders with the various people. And, um, and it's just awesome, you know, and because now that limit, that further reduces the amount of data you actually have to have on the PC side of stuff. Because, um, you know, uh, as I said, Windows 7 has been pretty reliable, but, it, you know, stuff happens still and it's better to have it not on there at all. All right, bud. Well, sounds like you've managed to navigate living in a Windows world with a Mac fairly well. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm a big fan, as I said, and hopefully uh, this is useful information for people. Yeah, I'm betting. I'm betting by show 200, you're not going to have much Windows in your life anymore. I'm hoping by show 101 or 102 would make me happier. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) well, keep us posted. All right. All right, and we've got our last workflows guest coming up, and this is something that as soon as I saw this come through, I was intrigued. So, um, George, we had him, and then we lost him. Yeah, you know, we have. We have a lot of pilots listening to our show because we get a lot of emails from pilots. And, um, and so we thought, you know what, we need to get somebody on. And uh, so, so we've got Brian coming in as soon as we can get him through. I'd tell you the name of these rock formations, but you'd just take them for granted. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, there he is. And lost him. This is Schweitzer Falls, named after that famous African explorer, Dr. Albert Falls. No luck, huh? There's lots of animals out here on the African veld. We've got zebras and lions, giraffes. I'm not sure what those are over there, though. They must be new. Gee, and you. Really. You know, people used to wait for my uh, boat when I was a Jungle Cruise skipper. They'd say, I want to be on Dave's boat. I had fans on the Jungle Cruise. I'm going to just add them uh, manually. I once had a group of Korean businessmen on my boat. 
and they didn't speak any English. And uh, I asked the guy, they had a translator with him. He said, can you want me to translate the jokes? I said, no, they're all puns, so that won't work, right? You know, so, so I said, okay. Just, he said, just go around. They'll take pictures of the stuff, and when everything's done, you know, they'll have a good time. So great. So we went in, and on the Jungle Cruise, there's a squirting elephant, and it oh, goes boy. up, and it squirts over the bow once. And then you go, and it comes forward, and it comes up again. You think it's going to squirt you, but it doesn't really. So I asked the guy, um, how do you say duck in Korean? And he says, you mean like quack, quack? And, you know, because there's actually ducks on the Jungle Cruise, which are not animatronic. They're ducks. And I said, no, like hit the deck. And he said a word, and I, I may get it wrong now. It's been many years. I think it was Hoyot. So if there's anybody that's Korean listening and I got it wrong, please excuse me. But anyway, so the, the elephant comes up. I scream into the mic. Hoyot! I just scream it, you know, because like, I hadn't talked to these guys the whole trip. And they totally freaked out. They, uh... They didn't duck. They literally hit the deck. And these guys are wearing like suits and ties and they've got like very expensive cameras. This is in like the 80s or I guess early 90s. And I'm thinking, man, you know, Disney has always wanted to fire me. And today is the day that I get fired. And it was like really quiet. There's like water on the bottom of the. It's a boat, right? There's like water down there. So their suits are, are wet. Their cameras are slamming into the engine cowling. And uh, they look at each other and they just start laughing. And they thought it was awesome. So I kept doing it through the whole cruise for no reason. I just started screaming Hoyo and these guys would hit the deck like, you know, you know, Russian missiles were incoming. It was awesome. Oh, I <laughs> think we got them. All right. Yay. All right. Oh, thank God. The jungle cruise stories can stop. I mean, hi, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Was I not on yeah. mute then? No. Okay. Yeah, so I'm kind of disappointed I didn't get to finish my story. Oh, well, I'll, finish I'll your do. story. Go ahead. Because the chat room is right. going to be upset. Okay, so then we get to the dock, right? You know, where you unload, right? Okay. And and all the guys are on the dock, and they're like, oh, man. I'm, I'm thinking nobody will ever believe this, that this happened. It was a very special thing. I mean, I had these guys hitting the deck like four or five times at the natives, at the waterfall. And then I just started doing it for the hell of it. And we get to the end, and I park the boat, you know, because there's a dock. I, I stop the boat like five feet away from the dock, so they can't get off the boat. And everybody's looking at me at the dock saying, what is going on? And and then the guy, the Korean guys in the boat are looking at me. And then they start chanting. They're like, they're like saying it, right? You know. <laughs> so then I grab the mic and I scream it and they do it again. They jump down to the bottom. And then uh, they all start laughing again. The guys on the dock are looking at me like I'm completely nuts. And it was just awesome. It was a, a very special moment on the Disney Jungle Cruise. And I'm glad I could bring it to you. Oh. The chat room is saying I can't cut this out of the regular show. All right. Okay. okay so, Brian, thanks yes. for waiting for that very important piece of audio. Um, okay. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I was saying while, while we were dealing with you, uh, while we were dealing with your connection with, problems. While we, we were dealing we've with you. Wanted, we've always wanted to have a pilot on the show, and we were both very eager when you wrote in. So let's, um, let's hear about how you're okay. using all the technologies. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for having me, and congratulations on your hundredth show. And thank Good. you for waiting. You are you were the last guest somehow by the by the draws, so you had to wait. I think we've been going for like twelve hours now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about how the iPad has changed uh, how pilots do their business. Yeah. So, so what do you do? Are you a commercial a pilot? Are you like um, a pilot that flies seven forty seven space shuttles, uh, oh, oh, rocket ships? A, okay. Well, I've flown a lot of different things, but my, the main thing that I do is I'm a flight instructor at okay. uh, at, a air, at a local club, and I also at a flight school. So I, I teach at a couple of different places, and I'm a free, freelance uh, flight instructor also. So if someone has an airplane, they want me to teach them how to fly, then I'm, I'm available for that. 
But what I wanted to talk about, and I put this in the chat room, is just just how the iPad has changed how how pilots do their business. And I think it's it was American Airlines that I think was one of the first airlines that was able to start using the or got approved by the FAA to be able to use the iPad. And what that does is that eliminates having to carry you know forty pounds of charts and manuals and all that stuff, so that you just carry all of your charts and everything are right on your iPad. So it's just all right there. And it's just very convenient to be able to use, to do, to use the iPad instead of having to carry around all those paper charts. Now, I don't think we have any concept of the type of stuff that this is that you have to carry around. Can, can you give us like a brief overview of, of basically, what this okay, stuff so, is? okay. So basically you're going to have something like your, what airline pilots have to, I don't carry this around, but like airline pilots is going to have to carry around your manual. So say for instance, their gear does a certain procedures that they have to use whenever there's a type of emergency. So there's just like all these checklists that they go through. So you can have all those checklists on your iPad. You can, like, I keep a lot of my checklists, right? Like right in Goodreader. So do that. So you also have to have navigational charts. You need to have, like I carry around uh, a route chart, which is for when you're flying, flying in the clouds, it's called instrument flying. And if I'm flying, if I'm not flying in the clouds, it's called VFR. You may have heard of some of these terms and you have to have sectional charts. It's just like a big, it's like a roadmap that you have, but it's a roadmap of the sky. So one of the problems with these charts is, you know how if you're flying, if you're driving along and you're driving from one state to the next, you gotta you gotta get one map out, you gotta go to the next one. The same thing happens in the cockpits pretty soon before the iPad came along, or if you didn't have any other electronic way of doing it, you you had these charts that were like scattered all over the place and you sometimes it's hard to with everything else that you're doing, trying to organize all this. What the iPad does, it's just it's just almost like your GPS. It just follows it just scrolls along as you go, it just moves along with the iPad. You just you just swipe and it just keeps track of where you are. It's like a moving map that you have right over, and superimposes your position right over top of where wherever you are. This yeah, is you available know. on the iPad. Yes, yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so the main uh, the main uh, navigational uh, tool that I use is something called ForeFlight. So it's F R F O R E F I. You know, just flight F L I G H T dot com. Okay. Yeah. So that's the main. Uh, program and what that does you have a subscription for it and the other thing that's amazing about it just like a lot of things when they go electronic they're cheaper just like books a lot of times are cheaper when they put so they don't have to print all these charts and everything when you go to the ipad it drastically decreased the price so now if i'm going to fly from uh you know fly down the east coast i gotta go i don't happen to have the charts with me i got the quick run over i used to have the quick run over to the local you know uh pilot shop and get the get the charts that I needed, but now I just download them. And it's, uh, you know, basically the subscription is the whole, you just basically, you just, you just get a subscription for the whole country and then you just download the states that you want to uh, fly in. So, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I do a fair amount of traveling. I'm not like one of these guys who's out every week, but for years I would recognize a pilot because number one, they got the fancy suit on, but they also have a little bag with wheels on it and a handle and a bunch of stuff they would carry on to every flight, which presumably was all those printed manuals. Right. And I, I was just flying last week and I, I noticed in the airport, it, it's noticeable that you see the pilots walking around with a very slim briefcase or just an iPad. Yeah. And that's getting all you on the plane. Like yeah. We have, like I was talking about our club, and so one of the guy, one of the guys in our club, is a corporate pilot. So you know, he uses the iPad all the time, and it's uh, it's basically for a lot of people, it's just totally replaced the paper. It's it, it's sort of a safety issue, uh, also because 
it keeps you, what it does is it not only is it a piece of paper that shows that you can follow along, just like your GPS shows you your position on where you are, so it gives you very good situational awareness. So if you get busy in, you know, really uh, heavy, heavy uh, like traffic and things like that, and you're very busy watching out for other airplanes, you know, receiving instructions from air traffic control all the time. It's easy, sometimes it's easy to get like disoriented, and what this does is it shows your position where you are in relationship to all the all your waypoints, and it even has a feature like. When you're taxiing on the gr- on the ground, it gives you the airport diagram, so it shows you which taxiway you're on. I'm sure you've heard about runway incursions. So, right. like, so if you get a clearance to cross a certain runway, but if you get confused in you know, in very big airports, it's very easy to say you know they, they're just rambling these instructions off you. Like, they'll say turn left on taxiway Bravo, right on taxiway Foxtrot. You know, hold short of this runway, and if you're if you confuse one runway for another one, it's easy. It's easy to get a runway incursion and possibly cause an accident. But what the iPad does is it's so it's so accurate that it actually can show you. It shows you, you know, it's within of plus or minus fifteen feet, so it shows you your exact position on the runway itself. Now, is the iPad precise enough for some of this? I would imagine yeah. you've got much more precise equipment well, in the actual aircraft. Well, what happens is we don't do the, we don't do approaches with the iPad. We have built-in, you know, uh, FAA-approved GPS that's in it. But what this did the iPad is. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the iPad actually has a, B, a built-in GPS. The, right. Now, that's only on the, the 3G, 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 3G or the 4G, or whatever. Yeah. depending on use, depending whether you have iPad 2 or 3 or the first one. But, so, but that GPS is accurate enough. Now, you can get external ones uh, and make it a little bit more accurate and so that you can – the problem is if you have it, usually I keep it right on my leg. So that's – sometimes you get – it's not – close enough like to the window just like your gps in your car sometimes you have to move it so they make external ones that are like bluetooth enabled so you can put it like right up on your dash so that's a little bit more accurate but i found it's very it's very rare for me to uh, lose a signal and uh you know this plus it it actually tells me how accurate it is on the screens it's usually getting plus or minus 15 meters so that's that's good enough yeah and so you sent us a link for this x gps 150 Right. And yeah, so that that's an external Bluetooth. That's one of the GPS ones. receiver. Right. That's that. It's at like ninety nine dollars. The ones that the one is a there's a Bluetooth, and the other ones you just put right into the dock connector, just right. You know, then the thirty pin connector. I guess it is. Yeah. Uh, but I, so, like I like I said, I've never I've never felt the need for that. I've I've just always used it without it. But some people, uh, I guess, just want to have a stronger signal. So then they, they that's one of the options that you have. So I, I bet you probably go up with external batteries and chargers well, what, and all kinds well, of stuff too. Well, but what what you do is you just have you know you just make sure you're it's just like pre-flighting your airplane. You pre-flight your iPad, so you make sure that it's charged. You make sure you have your current charts. Make sure you you have the charts that you need and that they're current because a lot of these charts change every twenty eight days. So you need to just download and download the new. Uh, a new state. So you just make sure I just go through a procedure just like when I'm flying an airplane, I have to go through a pre-flight. So like I said, like I said, I maybe I could take you through how I, you know, sort of my workflow. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So basically, so say for instance, I'm ready to make a flight. So I'm, uh, you know, someone's, you know, I'm going to go fly with another student or someone's hired me to, uh, you know, fly them somewhere or to, uh, you know, so whatever I'm doing. So the first thing I do is and this for-flight application, what it does is it actually allows you to do a, get a pre-flight weather briefing. 
So you can actually can go into it and it gives you like tick, gives you all these different gives you the probability of like the, where th- thunderstorms are going to be. That's called a convective SIGMET. I don't want to get too technical here, but that's uh, you know so you can get that, those types of things on the iPad. You can get it, what your what your probability of icing is, or uh, you know what the probability of turbulence. All those types of things you can get all the, all this all your weather briefing uh, beforehand for your route. And then on the iPad, it will actually take the take the uh, sectional or the in route chart that you're using. So my route of flight, it'll actually superimpose the uh, radar right on top of my route of flight, so I can see if there's any thunderstorms uh, with along my route of flight. So that's another way that the iPad is, you know, very helpful. And then I think I'll also put a link on in this. There's actually a something you can use in the cockpit. It's uh, it's called a Stratus. You can actually get your weather while you're flying. So it'll actually, it's almost, it's almost like having the internet in the air. Because as you know, you might know that you know how if you're in an airplane, you know how you can't get a, a, a data signal. So you can't like use your iPad to get a data signal. You know, once you get above a couple thousand feet, it really doesn't work. So what this does is allows you to get the radar in the air. So how much is this being accepted in the industry? It, it sure. sounds like it's a huge convenience, and maybe even saves time and saves money. It does. Are yes, you seeing other pilots using this? Um, I've seen lots of other pilots. You know, I'd say uh, like half of the people in our club have, have bought iPads. There's probably about 40 people in our club. So I'd say maybe, you know, out of 40 people, there's at least 10 or 15 people that have iPads and iPhones. Because what I, what I use is, because you asked me, well, how do I make sure that I, you know, what happens if my iPad dies on me and here I am in the air? What I do is I just whip out, and I've done this already. I've, you know, for, for, even for forgot to bring my iPad with me if I'm just flying with somebody else, or uh, I'm looking at some another screen on my iPad. The exact same information is available on the iPhone. It's available on the iPad. In fact, you pay one price for the subscription to this service, and you get the same things on your iPhone as you do your iPad. So I actually could, you, I can bring up the. The, all my charts and everything I got on my iPhone, just like I get my iPad. And I use that as a backup so I don't have to carry any paper at all. Well, it sounds like this is really revolutionizing the industry, both in the private pilots, but also in the commercial industry as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So like I'm saying, it's, uh, you know, it's just changed so fast. It's, it used to cost you know, thousands of dollars to get this kind of information in the cockpit because everything had to be FAA certified. And, right. uh, but now when you carry these portable devices, the FAA, they, they don't, since you're not using it for your primary navigation, so they have specific words to add. So I can't use this, this my iPad to actually shoot it, to actually do an approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just use it for uh, like situation awareness and to give me information on the, on the, what the approach, what the approach, what the, the procedure for the approach. But to actually, do, actually, the navigation that I use is, is on the GP, the certified GPS that's in the panel. Right. So it's just it's more data. But uh, what I was saying is it's, it, it replaces all the paper that's in the cockpit, though, the iPad. Yeah. Does. But, but I still can't a, use my iPad in the cabin. Uh, <laughs> you mean when they tell you to, I guess when they turn, if they, if they turn on the, you know, turn off the elect, all your electronics, I guess, yeah, so, so that's, what's, that's what I don't quite understand is because here the pilots up front are using an iPad, I you know, for, for all the segments of their flight, and they're telling all the passengers in the back to turn off their electronics. But I guess they're pilots, so they can... They're, they're they can specially trained. Oh, whatever. But, I just, but it, it's an excuse to meditate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I, I wanted to talk about some of the other... So that's the main tool that I use as a, uh, for, my fl- you know, for my flying to... For pre-flight, 
in in cockpit and you know afterwards also. But there is some other tools as a flight instructor that I use at the that the iPad is is really really great for, and that is like to do a weight and balance. You know, you may know about this. A pilot has to make sure that his center of gravity is within a certain range. So you used to have to like either have a spread, you know, do up a spreadsheet or something like that. But now they have these app, you know, app, apps that are available for the iPhone and the iPad. You just you just program the your i you just program your iPad or iPhone with the numbers, and it just automatically you know just and then you put in your loading how much each person weighs, and it just spits out and just tells you immediately you know with, whether you're within uh, proper uh, weight and balance range. Yeah. So there's that, and there's there's all kinds of applications. Another one that I use is called uh, Nav Trainer and Hold Trainer. So if you're going to be in a holding pattern, some, that's one of the hardest things as an instrument pilot to learn how to do is to do a holding pattern. And uh, so there's these there's this uh, app called Hold Trainer. So it helps you helps a student visualize how to get into a hold, what type of uh, pat, uh, holding pattern entry to make. So there's that type of thing, and just to how to visualize all the different navigation pieces of navigational equipment that are in the airplane that they have to learn how to use. So it's just been, and to visualize, I have these little video clips on the iPad that shows students how to flare an airplane. So there's these video clips that they put cameras on different pieces of the aircraft, different parts of the aircraft that show exactly where the nose wheel is, you know, as you're coming down. So it's an amazing it's an amazing tool, and I just use it all the time. Well, it's come a long way, hasn't it? And yeah. it seems like the the pilot industry really has grasped onto the iPad almost more than any other industry that I'm aware of. Okay, uh, Brian, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for having me, and uh, congr- and again, congratulations on the hundredth show. Thank you. All right, David, we made it. Yeah, we did. We didn't make it to the promised four hours, but we tried. <laughs> We're getting close. We do have a few things we need to wrap up here. First off, we finally have winners from the ScanSnap Haiku Contest. We got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of haikus, and we had to go through them all. So it took a while. It's amazing how many submissions we got, and it was really humbling. I didn't think that many people would be interested, and they were. And and there were some amazing entries that, you know, obviously we can only pick two, but... Uh, thanks everyone for participating because some of them are just amazing, great. You know, right. it, it was really hard picking it down to two. So, David, you you read the winner. I'll read the runner-up. Yeah. So the winner is from Charlie Eastman, and it's here it goes. I, I wish I had some quiet music or sound Maybe of rain falling behind me or something. Maybe we can put something in. <laughs> okay. So here's here's the winning haiku: Die Paper Mountain. New life comes into focus. Paperless Serene. All right. Congratulations to Charlie. You have a new scan snap that is on its way. Uh, we'll be getting in touch with you by email, and you'll need to send us your, your mailing address. I actually have the scan snap here in my closet, so I'll be mailing it to you, Charlie. We'll have to get your address, and I'll send it off to you. All right. And our runner-up is Garmin Estes, and here is it. Paperless Want You. Scan snap. Must you learn, Jedi? Do. There is no try. Now, we had to pick that one because it was Star Wars reference, right? Yeah, that definitely was kind of, um, gave him an advantage, I have to admit. But the dye paper, the dye paper mountain thing got me over with uh, Charlie's there. Yeah. 
anyway, so we're glad everybody. Thanks for uh, participating in that. It was a lot of fun. I, I don't know if we should like put a bunch of them up on the website or, or what we should do with it. There's some great stuff that nobody's going to see unless we do something with it. So. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put that some out. of them up on the website. And and we've got yeah. some really creative Mac Power users people. Yeah. Um, so, David, there there is one other thing that hopefully is uh, going to be walking in the door pretty soon. But um, before we do that, we do have a couple of thank yous to say out there. Um, and, and first off, thanks to George Starcher for making this happen and being our call screener extraordinaire. We were really nervous about that, but we couldn't. Couldn't have done this without him. Oh, I think I hear it. Yeah, somebody just brought me something. <laughs> and I just and, got a caramel apple. Thank you. And my special thank you is uh, to David and his family uh, for for being so wonderful for the past 100 shows, um, for sharing David with me, and for with all of the Mac Power users family. So I, I thought I'd send you an apple. Well, thank you, Katie. That, that was, was very nice of you. And you sent me a nice little card to the whole family. Yes. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Daisy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, they're your kids. Wow. I didn't know. Uh, you, you got me. I got gotcha. you. Right. I had some help. I, I guess you did. And I love caramel apples, so I'm going to enjoy them. Right. So I well, I, now I feel now I feel kind of bad because I didn't send you anything, but I had some notes here. I was going to say thanks for everything. I mean, this show, uh, you know, a lot of people when we started the show said it's not going to work because you and I don't argue enough. That's true. And uh, we don't have enough, you know, uh, you know, issues between us that it's not going to be interesting. And uh, I think that that's not true. I think the fact that we get along makes it just a fine show. Yeah, I think it's been a great show. And yeah. and we certainly couldn't have done this without the help and support of our families. So um, thank you to them, and and thanks especially um, to to Daisy, to Samantha, and to Sarah for for being so understanding with their time as well. Yeah, and also thanks to the sponsors we've had over these these years. We've had several that have that some have come and gone, and uh, we love them all. We're very picky about who we bring on the show, and it remains true. And most importantly, thank you to everybody that's listening in. Yeah. yeah. And, and thanks to Dan and everybody at 5x5. Five five. Uh, Mac Power Users has just really exploded since it moved over to the 5x5 five five network. It was a, a, a great show with a great fan base before and, and really gotten a lot of opportunities since we moved over to 5x5. Five five and, and we really appreciate everything that they've done for us. Yeah, we started this show. Everybody told us it was a crazy idea, and we did it anyway. And uh, thanks to everyone listening, it's still working, and we're still going at 100. And I'm looking forward to doing show 200. And and let's just say that show 200 will be four hours. Let's just say that right now. Okay, I think we can do that. All right. All right. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up the formal show. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening in. And if you've made it to the end, go have a cookie. I think you should get more than a cookie. We've got lots of links. You can find those in the show notes over at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Yes, and uh, you can also send us email at uh, uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. We're on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at MacSparky. Yes, and... um, and uh, we love iTunes comments. Please keep them coming. And yeah, thanks if you to want to sponsors. send us a present for show 100, you could send us an iTunes comment. That would be great. Yeah. And uh, our next show 
uh, we're finally getting around to it. We're going to talk about how we're using Mountain Lion's new features and getting stuff done. So uh, we're going to be doing that one next week. Yeah. Thanks to everybody. All right. Bye-bye.